go. Hi, recording bot. All right. And we're live again. Another flail forward on Friday, September. Uh, I don't know what day it is anymore. It's the 195th. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's somewhere in there. Um, I have uh, I have Catrice with me tonight. Oh, this is Rob, by the way. Hi. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to another flail forward where we flail generally forward. Catrice uh, yeah. is with me tonight. Yep, mm. dumpster fires already started nice and roasty toasty warm. Yep, yep. Kevwar is here tonight. Mm. Yeah, hi. Yep. Hi. Hi. And we have a special guest, Leonard Lenny Balsera, that aka that fucking guy that ruined RPGs. Thank yes. Uh, <laughs> uh, it is uh, um, I'm glad everyone still remembers. Uh-huh. <laughs> but uh so this 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 is actually kind of funny so when i like randomly replied so this conversation came about because i randomly replied to you on twitter Mm -hmm. because you said something about rpgs being something else other than rpgs and i was like oh that's interesting i also feel this way and you're like i'm not talking about it in public and i'm like okay but you want to do a podcast and you're like okay and (laughs) so here we are and we were going to talk about, well, I'm going to, I'm going to read your bio because it's, it's weird because I responded to you actually not knowing you were that Leonard Balsera. And, <laughs> and, and like, I was like, after I looked up your Wikipedia, I'm like, oh shit, I'm a huge fan of that guy. I didn't know. Oh, thanks. Thank you. Well, I, you know, I really like the Dresden. I've talked about the Dresden files fate on this podcast many times before. And I was like, that's, was formative in a lot of ways for like a lot of how you know aspects have landed on a lot of my design so like a lot of that stuff's really still useful um so you've done work with okay i'm just going to read the bio you sent me because why not Uh, let's be professional leonard balsera is best known for his designs (laughs) shut up you Design and development work on Evil Hat Productions' various Fate System games, such as award-winning Dresden Files RPG, personally endorsed, uh, but has worked across the breadth of the industry with credits from Pelgrim Press, Fantasy Flight Games, Green Ronin, Margaret Weiss Productions, Onyx Path Publishing, Steve Jackson Games, John Wick Presents, and many others. Uh, When he isn't eating, breathing, and sleeping hobby games, he spoils his cats rotten, reads voraciously, performs on stage occasionally, and plays a lot of video games. He lives at the intersection of memory and dream. But his physical body resides in Austin, Texas. Welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Thank you for coming on. This is um, so so the the conversation we had started, and we're like, let's put this on pause because this this might be interesting. From one, so you said I'm not interested in talking about this thing in public, which piqued my interest because either you're like, oh, this is a controversial opinion uh, that you're like maybe not sure if it's going to fly in the general Twitter sphere, or you're going to bash on a uh, big company in general, which we also do on this show, so that's fine. Uh, but, but in either case, I was like, I'm. I want to find out what uh, you have to say. So, so pro 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 tip number one: uh-huh. uh, you never want to say anything in public uh, that is uh, potentially uh, problematic for somebody who might later be paying one of your checks. Yes. So agreed. <laughs> so. Uh, I, I, as a habit, I, I don't do that. 
but uh, yeah, but the conversation, right? Well, so what, here, so here's the thing. Yeah. I um uh, stopped using social media in 2017 as mm -hmm. a as a experiment, as a personal experiment, uh, to see what would happen uh, to my mental health. Uh, if I sort of disengaged from a lot of the the capital C conversation, right? Mm -hmm. uh, well, obviously, obviously, didn't commit suicide. Obviously, <laughs> well, yeah. Uh, obviously, uh, there was a marked improvement, which I think is a completely. I mean, it, it's a no-brainer sort of no. thing. Like, of course, of course, paying less attention to social media means that you generally will have uh, uh, better mental health, unless. You know, I mean, there are exceptions because there are valid uses of social media in order to maintain social connections and stuff that people need, especially right now. So no knocking that. But for me personally, it was um, uh, doing more harm than good. And when I came back, I came back to uh, I deleted my Facebook, but I decided to come back to Twitter to sort of see what was going on. Right. And uh, I very quickly recognized that one of the things I wanted to make sure I did not do on Twitter was say something in public when I was not 100% confident that I knew what the fuck I was talking about. <laughs> Generally so, good rule of thumb, yeah. So um, I, you know, as soon as we sort of started hitting hitting that point of like, like heaven forbid... I would say any of the speculative B BS that I think about RPGs and the mediums and stuff like that, and some poor fool out in the Twitter sphere would mistake it for insight. Like I like <laughs> that. You know, um... I mean, I, that is a genuinely that that has the potential to be genuinely harmful, right? So I mm -hmm. I don't uh, I don't consider it. A practice that I'm I'm interested in. So, uh, so I said I'm not going to talk about it in public because I might be full of shit. And I, if I if I think I might be full of shit, I would rather air that out in private and and find out than you know show my ass. Mm -hmm. So that's that's what. That's well, the reason why I said I wasn't going to talk about it in public. Right, right, right. Well, I mean, you're in good. Nobody's going to mistake anything said on this show for insight. So. You're well, safe. right. So, right. So then, <laughs> then when you said we have a podcast, and I'm like, oh, what's your viewership like? And 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 you were like, oh, you think we have a viewership? Then I was like, well, now I can talk about these ideas all I want because it's yeah. clearly safe. <laughs> um, of course, of course. I'm assuming you weren't leading me on, and there's not actually like twenty thousand fucking people. Uh, uh, <clears> which, I don't know, Kevor. What are, what's 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 our Twitter our Twitch thingy right now? How's it doing? How's the stream? <laughs> Uh, two viewers even running. Two. two viewers. One of them is one of them is Ke of War. <laughs> there you go. I haven't actually <laughs> logged in yet, so <laughs> one of them is not me. Sweet. Oh, we have we have an actual viewer. Hey, welcome, actual viewer. Thanks for stopping by. There's someone named Falcon Moon. That's your shout out. <laughs> hey, Falcon Moon. Thanks for stopping by. Sweet. What's wrong with you? Right. Why are we making it worse? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. So, 
So let's talk about the let's talk about the actual opinion that, or sure. bullshit. Actually, let's let's talk about the let's talk about the bullshit because I also have like some stacks of bullshit that sure. we could probably compare and see whose stack is higher and maybe where they match you. Yeah. Well, what we also, were. Should... Oh, sorry, I didn't, I didn't mean to interrupt. Sorry. Uh... The only thing I was going to say is that, well. It's good that we can preface that thing in a podcast because, mm -hmm. you know, the Twitter thing that you were mentioning earlier, some people will take this as extreme truth instead of just an opinion. Like, I kind of feel sure. Twitter would be so much better if in addition to, like, the 280 characters they have now, at the end of every single Twitter post, it did, like, a Dennis Miller tag on the end where it just says, but that's just my opinion. I could be wrong. Right. <laughs> Right, but for every if, single one. <laughs> right, but for that to work, the person posting would have to believe that they could be wrong. So that's part of the part of the issue is I think that there's a, a quality to the medium that that that, I that think, creates I think this hope to remind them. Right, yeah. Uh right. Perhaps perhaps it is the case that the the more confident you are that you're right, the more you need the Dennis Miller tag. <laughs> Probably true. I think that's really true. <laughs> yeah, uh, for sure. So the the opinion, well, what we were talking about, and and sort of something I think about a lot in in the process of design, is um, what is the most useful way to frame the single defining feature of like wh what defines a role playing game versus what defines another kind of a game, right? And we're talking about how um, my general, in my own formulation, think of it is um, that it is an activity where uh, fictional positioning, what, what I think Vincent Baker originally coined this term because he invented like fucking half the vocab everybody uses, uh, uh, called fictional positioning right which is which is in in some the fact that context the fictional context of what's going on in the game the given circumstances of the of the the fictional content of the game is the primary determinant of what the the next legal moves are in the game at any given moment in time uh so like like as the example that often gets used, right, is that you know that chess is not a role-playing game because no matter what story I tell you about my army while we're playing, at any given moment in the game, the moves of chess are the moves of chess. Like you could take my queen and I could tell you this inspiring story about how the queen was beloved amongst her people and they will work you know, twice as diligently and twice as hard to get her back. But that doesn't change any of the situation on the table. The moves that we have to make are still the moves that we have to make. You might be entertained by my story, but that doesn't change what we're doing at the table. <clears throat> and, but, it, but you know that something is a role-playing game when the player characters have just uh, done a heist and they have kidnapped somebody because they had to take a hostage to, to do the heist. And they pull the hood off the hostage uh, at their hideout. And you're like, yeah, it's the queen. By the way, she is beloved amongst her people. 
This is mm-hmm. the worst person you probably could have taken hostage. And you know that now that she is missing, the royal guard, the peasantry, and everybody else in this fucking country are going to be working double time in order to get her back. When you say that to a group of people in a role-playing game, that changes the thing that's on the table, right? In a Which very is more gold now. Right? Because, because <laughs> they would not make the same moves that they would have made if you'd said, eh, it's one of the, the museum guards. Whatevs. Right? Mm-hmm. So, so that is the key... The one key feature that you can't take away from any of the things that you would call a role-playing game, whether we're talking about fucking Rollmaster with all of its tables and charts, mm-hmm. or we're talking about fiasco with whatever cool format Jason has invented to box it up in this time. Right. Uh, like, what, whatever the disparity of other shit that you're including, the thing that remains static amongst all of those experiences the tie that binds them is that you have this um this fictional positioning this negotiated fictional positioning that is that takes primacy that that even over other other rules positioning or or whatever else that you're using all of it flows out of negotiated Ooh. fictional positioning right and that and, and that is the one thing you can't get away from as soon as you cross that line you are in something that can that someone somewhere is going to call a role playing game right so the question that follows from that is that is a definition that leaves open a very broad number of experiences to be called an rpg yeah like like pure improv Mm-hmm. by that definition, could be called an RPG because an improv scene literally has no mechanism besides fictional positioning and the right. actors in the scene dancing around one another. So if the variety of activities that are called upon by that division is so high, is it really a medium or is it better, more useful to frame it as as a pattern or a tool or an element of design that can be applied to facilitate uh, a number <laughs> of what you might call mediums in the same way mm-hmm. that writing a novel is not the uh, novels and short stories are different mediums of fiction, right? Mm-hmm. They both require the use of prose of written prose as a, as a, a tool, as a foundational tool, right? Mm-hmm. So is there a utility in terms of how you think about a design, in terms of how you look at design work, to, to step away from the ideas, the idea of looking at RPGs as like this discrete object, for lack of a better term, mm-hmm. and, and to look more at the idea of using that tool of negotiated fictional positioning as an element in whatever it is the the fucking the fucking thing is mm-hmm. does looking at it from that perspective open your mind up to possibilities for design that you might not have considered otherwise blah 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 right yeah 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 i see where you're coming uh, from for for me um so we like uh, on on this show we've talked about this a lot like what what is it really like what is an rpg really and and 
I am on of the position that it is, it's it's misnamed, like because the yeah. what it actually is is an engine. Like you have to have an engine, right? Because without the engine, you are doing just improv, right? So the the mechanic, whatever the mechanic is. I mean, even if it's just a Vincent Baker style, like ask a question, a very specific question in order to prompt a very specific kind of answer. Um, the engine that takes the player input and delivers some kind of output is a necessity. And then also the fact that it's not just a fictional position that we care about, but it's actually the relationship between two fictional positions. So it's actually the narrative that we care about more than either than a fictional position, right? So I, I think you can't get away from the fact that, um, yeah, the, the fi fictional positioning is inherent and you can't get away from it. But I think more than that, to actually be recognizable as something we would call an RPG, it's about the getting from one pos fictional position to another and the engine that facilitates that. So we, we started calling them story creation engines because sure. that's kind of what they, f that's the, actually Cavoir coined the phrase, but. Right. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, right. Yeah. Right. And that that brought up another thing in the chat, right? Because mm -hmm. like, because one of my other <clears throat> controversial opinions about role playing games is that story, such as we understand it, is a byproduct of RPG play, uh, rather than, you know, the purpose or the point or whatever. Yeah. It's like there's well, there's two stories being created. Right? Oh, sorry, Kat. Go ahead. I think there's both, but I think. I think it kind of partially enshrines that it is partially a game as well, though, because one of the key features of a game is there has to be rules. There is some structured order to it, even something as esoteric as like the infamous Calvin ball still has a very solid rule to it, mm -hmm. which is in that case, you can never play it the same way twice. But the concept is there has to be a rule. So if you look at something like the TV show, whose line is it anyway? Uh -huh. It's tech. It is technically actually a game, even though the points don't matter in it. The fact right. is they do have set up scenarios. There are rules that they are playing by. So it's kind of a game, but I wouldn't say it's a role playing game because I think it's more like what Rob was saying in that there has to be two narrative positions because role-playing games are a lot more persistent than just talking about a narrative. It's also a persistent narrative that carries throughout the entire game session. It's not a series of small, completely independent games that have no correlation to one another. You're actually trying to maintain that this singular game is persistent throughout the entire session. Hmm. Um, right. And it's just kind of a matter of like, where, what bucket do you put sort of what like element in it? Mm -hmm. Like mechan like when you're talking about game mechanics, right? For example, the main thing that game mechanics do in RPG play is structure the negotiation between mm -hmm. people. They grant authority or take authority from certain statements about what is or isn't true in the in the fictional <laughs> quality of the game, right? So if like you're if you're playing D and D and you're like I walk up to the orc and I hit them, at the moment you've made that statement, we do not know if it is true, right? Right. We then agree to engage a process 
that determines the veracity of the statement that you've made. We roll the thing and you roll a 16 and that's enough to bypass their uh, armor class. So you say, yes, in fact, you do hit them, mm -hmm. right? But what the mechanics do at that point is, is, is create essentially an editorial power, right? That, right? that allows us to change the statement you originally proposed, right? So I view the, the, the sort of uber function of all of that stuff as as providing a structure by which we negotiate what the fiction is but that keep but that's still under that umbrella right of like negotiated fictional positioning is the god emperor of the whole damn thing mm -hmm. yeah i, I think, think you're right oh go ahead sorry 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 <laughs> i'm gonna be more talkative than normal on this i'm almost guaranteeing it okay so uh -huh. the thing that immediately stood out about that is I don't think it's actually technically true because if you do like any kind of open role playing, like one of the default things is you don't say I do hit the other players or the orc or whatever. You say I am going to take a swing at it, but you leave it open for interpretation of what actually happens and somebody else tells you what the actual outcome is, which is basically what the role of the game mechanics are, because hmm. you don't actually say in D&D, I'm hitting the orc, you say I'm going to swing at the orc. Well, you, well, we so that Russ is interesting because like there's a there's a code switching effect, right? Like when you say it, I walk up to the orc and I I hit him. Mm -hmm. We we understand that at the table because we know what what mechanisms we're engaging. We understand hmm. that at the table to not literally mean that you are insert right like you're like it's it's at that point in time sort of an expression of wishful thought, right? Right. Uh, and but like because we've already got this way of negotiating outcomes that we parse that statement correctly right mm -hmm. like, like what you were saying in open role play or like like improv or you know it happens a lot at larps right the reason why you would not make a definitive statement like you said is because the the nego the the framework in that setting is that you don't have a mechanism by which to to determine those outcomes or it doesn't operate the same way and that requires you as the player to alter your language so that you are not running afoul of you know mm -hmm. like you kind. can't imply what you mean right like you have to actually be a little bit more precise but that but that agreement to be more precise is in my opinion just another another negotiation framing like, because that's that's the purpose that it all serves, right? Is is for us to determine somehow what happens and who gets to say what about what happens. So right. the odd part, like when you first brought up like the idea of like when you're talking about this is what happens and such, I was immediately thinking of combat because I have definitely been in RPGs where the combat rules are very set in stone. Like you'll get like a GM or something where they're like, no, we're not deviating from this. Doesn't matter what you say in the fictions. Like 
you can't be like, I'm going to swing across the room and kick the orc out the window from like the chandelier kind of thing. And it's like, yeah, but I don't have any rules for that. So it doesn't happen. And it's like, okay, wait, wait, because in like one of the main focuses that lets an RPG do be an RPG is the fact that you can do that kind of thing that's not written in the rules. Oh, so, so there's so it's a so it's interesting because like there's two topics right that you're that you're bringing up right which is sort of like like the 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 platonic ideal of the of the <laughs> the, the the system in motion right and then like the shit that happens because people can't meet the platonic ideal right uh um no plan survives first contact with the player characters right. <laughs> Because like in D&D, so for example, if we're talking about if we're talking about D&D and mm-hmm. you're like, I want to run up, run across the balcony, swing on the chandelier and hit the orc, right? One of the first things we do is what? We look at the character sheet and go, okay, what's your movement? And mm-hmm. we probably have like a physical representation of the space. So we are go so we go, okay, in order for you to do the thing you've said, you need to cross this many squares. Do this thing, which costs an an action. Mm-hmm. Blah but you can tell how much fucking Dungeons Dragons I play. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and you know, and then make perhaps make this check. Oh, but that check also costs us an a- an action. Blah 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 blah. Right, and mm-hmm. like, and, and the conclusion of us exploring your proposal might be this set of constraints that we've agreed to abide by does not allow you to input that detail right. into the fiction because we've agreed to abide by these constraints that say in a moment of action there's only so much stuff that you're allowed to do right mm-hmm. some tables will then kick it back up to like the ultimate like the uber the uber negotiation space which is the social space right and mm-hmm. say all right well we've determined that you don't actually really have the move to do that but i think it sounds awesome so here's what i'm going to say instead mm-hmm. and if you make me an acrobatics check at a minus four i'll let you make an attack roll uh and 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 you step sort of up a level to renegotiate the the boundaries around this particular moment and mm-hmm. then abide by that temporary agreement and then move forward because what we've decided is we're interested in this fiction right like we like we want to validate the position of that you have 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 proposed right um usually except we are talking D D, so you roll a one and you miss the orc right, and you, you go miss flying the out the window yourself right. yeah yeah uh <laughs> um well that's you know sort of the sort of the pitfall of of uh constraining yourself right i guess to mm-hmm. to to too great a degree right but but my all i'm getting at is you can't escape that this question of who gets to say what about what when and how do we enter details into the the fictional space such that they are ratified by everybody at the table mm-hmm. is like it is that's the thing that's the activity right if you're doing that activity on some level you're playing an rpg right that's all i'm getting at 
right uh, yeah or at least what we would call in our like most people would recognize as something like oh that's rpg like at least that is, right that is an rpg like <laughs> thing yeah. right and it's important to say that because there's a lot of board game design now mm -hmm. that is sort of mo hybridizing some of oh, this stuff sure. right yeah. like you know the firefly <laughs> board game has these these little i don't know if you've played the firefly board mm -hmm. game but it has those little scenario fucking choose your own adventure little fucking scenario things yeah that it's got that are whisper it's like is that is that now like fictional positioning well, i'm not mm -hmm. sure if it's not it's getting fucking close you know <laughs> uh, so there's so i think that that's kind of one of the things that makes me come back to this question of like it what what is the utility of of saying let's forget about rpgs as a concrete object mm -hmm. and let's think about the design benefits of i the primacy of negotiated fictional positioning eventually there will be a better term that probably vincent or meg will invent uh uh to to say that thing if we have that thing what do we then then how do we handle all the stuff that we can apply that thing to so that's what led levi right levi had that tweet uh that, mm -hmm. that sort of followed from mine where he was like what if rpg is a pattern that you apply to another activity so D, &D right. is what you get when you apply rpg to war games uh, mm -hmm. when you apply um you know rpg to theater you get larp when you apply rpg to right you know that that kind of thing yeah i see where you're going with yeah i mean that's so is it a pattern of uh yeah, in a sense. I mean, I think there's two because I think there's two patterns that RPGs are a unique medium. The, the reason I, I I think they're interesting, like yeah. as a medium and beyond, you know, just I like Dark Sun and Blades and like all that cool shit. Hey. Um, oh, I'll tell I'll tell uh, Rob you said that. <laughs> yeah. Um, but like all all so all the like the beyond that is I they're so interesting as books because they're instruction manuals for helping you tell two stories at the same time, right? Because you're, you're, you're creating this story around Unpack this for me. Unpack this for me. This two stories at the same time thing. Talk to me about that for a second. So the idea is, so you have, you have the diegetic story happening within the fiction, right? Like the Mesa story. And then you right. have the meta story of what's happening around the table. Right. And we, as gamers, we tell both stories. Right. We, we tell the story of like, oh, my character did this and then this happened and then it was so cool. And then blah, blah, right. blah. And yeah. then we also tell the story of like, there was a time when Derek rolled three 20s in a row and it totally derailed the campaign. And that's, sure, a, sure. you know, so we're the, 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 the manual that the RPG book is, is both things. It is both, it is a manual for creating both of those stories at the same time. And the, Though you don't, it's very, it's usually not explicit about creating the meta story, even though it inevitably will. Some games are better about that. Like Fate, I think, is better about uh, talking about the meta, the meta story. And so is less Apocalypse World, doesn't talk about that as much, but it depends on which variant, I guess. Um, but, but I think it's useful to come at the medium from that perspective of the two stories, the simultaneously inter, uh, 
penetrating narrative of both things. Like, because you can't, as much as people want to keep those things separate, I think when they decohere, people get really upset. Like if the story happening around the table doesn't match the story happening in the game, like there's, there's a feeling of, I mean, incoherence, right? So when this is getting into weird territory that I'm not fully, like, I don't fully grasp. <laughs> so it's going to be like at the edge of what I'm comfortable talking about, but like the idea that when you're creating, ah, we're not on Twitter. It's okay. Yeah, I guess. Yeah. Who cares? Um, you could be wrong. I, yeah. Oh, I'm sure I'm wrong. Um, but the idea is that you, so you're, you're the game part of RPGs only applies to one half of that. It only applies to the mess messa narrative, like the internal diegetic narrative. If you apply game to the outside part of that, almost always it falls apart immediately because the game portion is about applying strategy for particular outcomes. And the, I mean, game theory is not about optimal ways of cooperating, generally speaking. Sure. And so I don't think game applies to RPGs because once you, if you apply game to the entire activity, it quickly becomes one-upsmanship and doesn't, it, it is, is unsatisfying probably for most people at that point. Um, although I feel like there's, there's, you know, there's the, the, the tournament module thing that happened in D&D is definitely, you know, the antithesis of that, but... See, I would, um, I would, I would, uh, I, I would, um, go, go real Occam's razor. Because mm -hmm. I agree with you that, like, that, like, to some degree, labeling the activity of RPGs as games is, is a misnomer to an extent, but, but the reason I think that that is true is a much simpler one than, than mm -hmm. what you've laid out. I think that that our role-playing games are on some level not games because if you play them badly, you can still have fun. And sometimes the reason why you have fun is because you've played them badly. Right. Uh, I think that's like, a fair, yeah. Like, so there's, there's this idea of like, so so, I, so I've, done, I've been done improv since I was 17. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, comedy improv, uh, long, various long and short forms of, uh, improv and uh one of the the uh in one of the, the the sacred texts uh there's this idea that one of the the your objects when you get into an improv scene mm -hmm. is to find the game in that scene mm -hmm. and, and what that means is is that you're going to create a bit you're going to create a piece of structure because that is the way that the human mind works. Like, like our brains are designed to attempt to impose order on the universe, right? Mm -hmm. So, like, mm -hmm. when you're when you're in a free form situation, if we're playing a scene, you and me, and and I, and the constraints are you're a baker and I am a customer that ordered a cake and I forgot my wallet at home. Uh, go. We will at some point in time create a bit of language, create a, an interaction, create a something that sets an expectation between us that if we're doing our jobs right, we will later invoke again mm -hmm. because people love that pattern matching shit, right? Right. So uh, so the, mm -hmm. the, the, the admonition is, not the admonition, the, 
the uh, well, I guess it is an admonition, and then fail to do this at your own peril, right? But like, <laughs> but the idea is to find the game, the game in a scene. Once right. you have that bit that makes the audience that amuses the audience or gets a reaction on the audience or or whatever, then then you've now narrowed your objective to continue to try and get as much mileage uh, as you can out of that bit. Um, and that's when you go and uh, post a, a twenty uh, post a twenty tweet thread on Twitter. Mm-hmm. Now that you've mastered this idea of mm-hmm. of uh, uh, of doing that, um, uh, so I just did it. Right, the bit was this whole thing about not knowing what the fuck you're talking about on Twitter. Right. We've brought it back like four or five times. So one of the games of this interview is to keep hitting that button and iterating off that button as many times as we can, because somebody out there, I guarantee you, will find it hilarious. <laughs> okay, so yeah. long-winded way of getting back to the this idea that perhaps the, the, the framing that is most useful is that RPGs, we can use the acronym so we don't have to actually say any fucking real words, RPGs are activities that contain games. Yeah. Right. Yeah, they're like a toy box of rules. That's how I thought right. about it. Right. Like, yeah. They're like right. It's it's like a toy, but one of the things you can do with that toy is agree to play a game. Mm-hmm. Uh and I mean I think that there's mileage, right, in 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 looking at it like that. I mean, I you know, I don't know how much how much utility that division has when you're staring at a ten thousand word deadline and Oh yeah, almost none. Run, run, <laughs> you've run out of writer's tears, but you know, like as a thought exercise, right? Mm-hmm. I think it is. I think it is important, right? A lot of times to keep in mind the idea that the thing you create when you create an RPG rulebook is not the RPG. Right. It is yeah. the guidance that hopefully provides a group of people the ability to do the, to have an rpg experience that is consistent but mm-hmm. but the but the rpg itself is like the thing they are doing at the table in the moment with the guidance that you've provided it's like so i, I believe i saw someone on on uh, twitter refer to it as being closer to the script for a play or the recipe in a cookbook right um yeah like the actual play, the performed play, is you at the table doing the thing, or the you know the actual food is the thing you have cooked, right? Like the recipe mm-hmm. is not the meal, right? Uh, Especially so. since in almost every case, if you have a recipe, especially if, I think this is actually like a really good analogy because if you go onto any cooking website, it has. Like, if you have one which has reviews for mm-hmm. the cooking, it's very oh, yeah. D&D-like, because it's always yeah. like, it's like, oh, yes, five-star, best recipe I've ever used. I've changed everything in it. Right, yeah. Exactly. It's like, yeah, right. Exactly. Right? Well, well, I mean, like, that, well, <laughs> now, now, you're talking, now you're talking about something else really interesting. See, the problem is that yeah. every, single, every single one of these things could diverge into its own fucking two-hour show, right? Like, oh, hundred um, percent. Uh, so yeah. I'm just gonna I'm just gonna lay this out here so that we can we can move past it. But uh, 
one of the most interesting historical artifacts of the culture of play that revolves around Dungeons and Dragons is that it is more about fixing Dungeons and Dragons than it is about playing Dungeons and Dragons. Oh my gosh. And I will just move on. No, we, we got to talk about this because I've had this exact same thought. Like I think D&D is actually a game design game designer generator. Sure, right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and that's how it well, and it's because, okay, and this is a this is an artifact of history, right? Like yep. I don't know how how uh uh, chronologically advanced you all are, but I am getting there. I'm 40. Uh, I'm fine. I'm also 40. So, hey uh, um, as of the 3rd of August, I literally have only been 40 oh. for a few, like about a month. So, yep. I'm 3rd of May here. So, hi uh, Um, That's good. You, you turned 40 in advance uh, just after uh, fucking outside day. That's cool. Um, uh, uh, but, uh, um, though I, I certainly hope so. Um, but, uh, but, uh, beyond that, uh, moving from that moment Mm -hmm. of existential despair, thank you, is, uh, this, this historical artifact that when people were playing Dungeons and Dragons before the advent of the internet, Mm -hmm. it was all the, 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 the zines, right? And it was all the, the, the APIs or, or whatever. So it was like, Arduin's, Arduin's grimoire and the fucking gazetteers, uh, yeah. the gazetteers and like the iron, the uh, whatever the there's there were a bunch of them, yeah. Um, sure. and uh, and they all contained rules, hacks, alternate designs for for D and D. And so when you came to a D and D table, objective number one was to learn the version of D&D that that table plays. So yeah. one of the terrible things that happened when the internet occurred is that we all got together on the internet to talk about what we assumed was a mutual interest or a mutually shared uh, endeavor. We all play Dungeons and Dragons, right? Yeah. And what we discovered to our horror is that no fucking two tables of people played the same fucking game. I don't I don't think this was really that huge of a uh, surprise for some people. Like if you played at more than one table, right, you sure. knew this to be true. Right. Like yeah. you learned very quickly but that the D as a right. Yeah. yeah. D as a concept is not D D. Like Mm-hmm. Almost nobody has actually played D and D. They've played something that well, their GM calls D and D, right? Or play, they're, well, they're dungeon master. I mean, more to the point, playing Advanced Dungeons and Dragons First Edition, yeah, with all of its rules as written in play, is actually impossible. But yeah, uh, like, Second Edition's initiative is is literally unplayable. Like, there's no. It's twenty. It's craziness. Uh, like, yeah. Yeah. Weird. And uh. You know, so so this, but the the interesting thing is that after we had the ability via the internet to all get on the same fucking page, we chose not to. So now, like this this tradition, cat that you that you're talking about, continued forward into the into the culture, and and it kind of became part of the the thing, and and then that was expressed when third edition came out. Thanks to the OGL, the immediate phenomenon that followed that was the, the the boom. And what was the boom about? Well, the boom was about everybody and their mother publishing house rules for D&D. 
and this was considered to be by a lot of the people that I remember experiencing at the time to be extraordinary, right? Like, mm-hmm. like we loved it. We ate it up because this was the thing that we'd been doing, the real activity that we'd been engaging in the whole time, right? Um, the fact well, that it's creative, right? It's, right. it's a creative medium. And like, what's the first thing you do once you have a creative medium, you create something. Right. People would create like, you know, not just house rules, but there was so much content that they'd create. Like, here's my new player race. Here's this new uh, class idea that I came up with, except now I can share this with everybody. Right. And people would actually, you know, do that. It's like, right. there's how many races came out for like 3.5 on the internet. And then you basically had Pathfinder, which was basically, you know, D&D 3.75 as essentially fan fiction as it were mm-hmm. uh so yeah so uh like that is a whole the fact that one of the games that D contains is D design mm-hmm. is kind of a fascinating sort of a fascinating artifact of like that particular game yeah and right. like I, I oh yeah go ahead sorry Oh, no, I was going to say that, like, you know, one of the lessons that that taught me when I was working on all of the Fate System stuff was to recognize that on some level, I could be as ardent as I could try to be about what you should do. But if the audience for my game includes a certain percentage of people who are very fond of D&D... Mm-hmm. The likelihood that they're going to fucking listen to me and do what I say is real low. So it was to my advantage then, if I am trying to meet the needs of this audience, to provide a flexibility or means by which they could mm-hmm. uh, l- deliberately not do what I say, but still think that I'm responsible for their good time. Well, mission achieved, I think. I mean, at least for me. Thanks. Only, I mean, yeah, I mean the only so like 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 I said in, in our chat, like the it's it is the game I we played at the table that we house ruled the least, uh, in in terms of. Uh... But but here's my question. So here's a question. Mm-hmm. I'm interested. I'm interested about this. Is it the game you house ruled the least, or is it the One game that you didn't recognize? That, right. Or or did you not recognize some of your house ruling as house ruling? because the framework of the game gave you permission as a legal move in the game to make certain kinds of decisions that could in another context be characterized as design? Uh, no, there was a very, I remember this very specifically because we were, so we had come off of World of Darkness, uh, doing a New World of Darkness mage campaign. Mm. And um, so we were kind of primed for, what Dresden had going on. And we were all like three of us were huge fans of the series. Um, and so when like fate came out and we were like, like, you know, digesting the rules and talking about it and we're like, this is really open. There's a lot of stuff you can do. And, but we were, I mean, there are some things we were confused about, like, how do you factor in like the fact that one particular aspect may be way more powerful than another and still only 
they're but mechanically they're both plus two like mm-hmm. what you know trying to figure out like get our head we'll wrap our heads around that yeah. the only thing we ended up house ruling at all was the way rituals worked specifically oh, which well. was um i mean that's because <laughs> that's because uh uh you know i i wrote those rules uh when i was in a great deal of psychic pain I mean, my, I mean, my, I mean, my bad. But go ahead. <laughs> well, no, the only the only thing we changed was like how we uh, we added the time ladder to as a limiting factor on on the uh, oh, on how big it could get, like on how, how big much it time could get. You have for picture. Yeah, right. Yeah. yeah, that was the only real thing we changed. Was like, okay, so instead of the like the limiting factor being how many things you could reasonably acquire, it was like you have this X amount of time, and then can you do it? Can you hit enough? Because it, it was backwards, right? So we would be counting backwards from backwards the from the amount of time. Where you have three days, mm-hmm. you can spend an amount of your time on blah. Yeah. Right, you're treating time as currency. Yeah, yeah. I yeah, yeah. So that was the only. I mean, that was literally the only house rule we did. And like, we made some. Uh, my buddy made some like custom abilities for like a half banshee character that my uh, uh, wife was gonna play, and uh, that was cool. But like, that was totally within the f- framework of the game. You know what I meant? It was fate had a hackable core to it, where it's like, oh, I can make a stunt that does like, okay, it's a scream and it does like, um, you know, mental damage and okay, done. Yeah, we right there. We kind of peeled back the curtain mm-hmm. on like here are the here are the the modular elements that you can come right. up, like make a thing out of. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, well, well, that uh, actually oh, sorry, brings up an interesting point. Let me just finish this one thing before you come up here. Uh, the reason we were comfortable hacking that, though, is because we had come off of third edition where we had been making prestige classes and yeah, right. monsters and shit for everything. So we are just like, oh, this game's like way easier. Like we, we felt freer to hack fate because the, um, the second order impact was so much less than hacking something like D&D where you could hack a class and it's like, oh, this in co- it's fine by itself, but in combination with this other class, it's way too, you know, whatever. Right. And so there was none of that in fate. And so there's like so much more freedom to fuck with the system without having to worry about like the long-term ramifications of including something. Right. Was it going to implode? Yeah. And like blow yeah. Up so I just wanted to get to that point because it directly talks to like the D&D hack of like, you know, designer training by kind of right. here's the, some numbers, make the numbers work kind of fun. Yeah. Uh, like, and then going into like the more fictional, oh, we can make, we can make the fiction do stuff. Right. Yeah. So I I'm thinking though that this brings up an interesting paradox mm. that the games which are more easily adaptable, more easily hacked, the ones that flat out tell you that you can create a new ability here and the game actually supports it. To some degree, players don't tend to view that as hacking the game like they don't view it as like this is a house rule this is something that i have done to the game it's like no this is still part of the game whereas right. in something like D, where it's like no here's like the the list of what you can do period and then everybody's like yeah i'm gonna add on to that list and it's like oh i have done something to change the game right you and know it's what's really weird What's interesting is I see that the feature that you're talking about, I actually, I perceive it as a stronger component of, of what has, is now, I guess, called story game design, right? Like the post, 
the post 2000s early 2000s from you know forge to the story game forums to now um uh you know like you look at like a powered by the apocalypse game or you look at apocalypse world itself right like there's no place in apocalypse world other than in this very specific part of the of the gm's purview where vincent says and you can you know make up another move right like that is not like that is verboten the moves right. that are on those playbooks are the moves that are on those playbooks and those are the fucking moves you use and like uh uh, I actually feel like the 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 one of the features right of the uh, of that design I don't know ethos the designs that came out of that social group mm-hmm. were that they resisted uh, alteration at the at the user level right that they're like here this is this game is this discrete object all of its pieces parts are laser tuned with each other yep. in order to achieve a certain objective um if you fuck with them you void the warranty uh <laughs> don't don't, yeah. talk, don't talk to me about why your experience is, was bad which is not actually the attitude that any of the designers have like i you know obviously these are my these are my friends and colleagues so i'm not saying that they're they were you know but like there is this 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 um concreteness right in in those um designs right yeah and like one of the reasons why fate was sort of ambiguously received i think by uh certain members of those communities is that it harkened back more to like the the trad what they call the trad side of the board which is like nah just make up a rule i guess fine probably i mean as long as like you know it's like you know that like plus two is the equivalent of an invoke and you get these currency ratios right sort of thing like i don't really give a fuck what you do right which is very not very the that that ethos right like right like uh vincent's games tell you how to play them uh (laughs) in in a way that uh you know other games don't yeah it's the prompts right like the prompts in those games are like you can, you can. I mean, you know, you can ignore the prompt, but if you do, you you're implicitly you're implicitly going outside what this game is supposed to do, right? You know, so right. it's interesting that way. It's like, I mean, yeah, it's like here here's something. You want this cake? You don't have to eat the cake, but like in order to taste the cake, you have to eat the cake. Like, right. but, on, and, but on the on the other side of it, what Cat's talking about is also this very real. Like, what's sort of interesting about this is that there's a mm-hmm. social thing in in like we go back to talk about Dungeons Dragons play that is exactly that that is that there is people can get so so comfortable with so secure with sort of the framework that they're comfortable with that even if the framework is open to modification coming in and doing so is potentially like a violation of the social contract of the mm-hmm. I've definitely felt that attitude before too group, yeah. right and like so it's so it's interesting because what I would say, Kat, is I think that the thing you're noticing when you're talking about it in the context of D and D is more of a social phenomenon than it is a design phenomenon. And then there's a, and then there's a school of RPG design where it is very much a design phenomenon that it resists you fucking with it. Yeah, I I think that it may be something to do 
with the nature of not just the players but the framing of the games themselves as well like you look at it like it's really weird but like the examples that you were given like the social games as they're usually called like you know powered by the apocalypse games tend to be surprisingly weirdly enough they're a lot more rigid in the rules in terms of how you can adjust them despite that they're more open by nature right so you have the game itself is more open but the actual players like when they're playing a game they're not as likely to try to actually home rule the game the nature of the game as they're playing it and they're not likely to like add new uh playbooks or something they're more likely to play a different game right. if they yeah. if they want to do something different or Whereas take... Dean... oh sorry go ahead no you had... oh, okay but for D, it's gonna be like well we're gonna play D, and it's like okay but i want to do something that's completely different than D. okay well we'll just change D D to do that then right right and that's where you get the like the second generation like spycraft d20 modern right <laughs> kind of right kind of stuff yeah 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 uh well but vincent right one of the brilliant things about about how moves work in apocalypse world is that all of the moves have very specific triggers mm-hmm. so like the way the way that 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 the that openness the, that feeling of openness I don't know if it's actual openness or if it's a feeling of openness. So I'm going to call it a feeling of openness. I think comes from the fact that the explicit conceit is as long as you have not hit one of the trigger points for one of these moves, play is conversation. Mm-hmm. It's just you mm-hmm. talking about stuff. But the moment that you hit the trigger for a move, you had better motherfucking stop what you're fucking doing. Look at that move and do what the fuck it says. <laughs> right? Part of that is also yeah. that the yeah. way the moves are phrased, most of them are very open-ended in what happens. It's not like you do five damage. It's right. like you do this kind of an effect in the world. Right. Well, right. And right. And they open to negotiate. Well, it's also like, like one of the interesting things about talking about Powered by the Apocalypse now is that we are in a, in a moment in time where uh, there are a wide variety of Powered by the Apocalypse games. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think this is a good thing. Well, so what's interesting about, about listening to what you're saying is, is that I have to recalibrate my head because I'm old. And <laughs> like, I remember. I remember powered by the apocalypse when it when it was like is anyone really going to use this mm-hmm. uh, and like the only real solid examples of implementation were apocalypse world and maybe dungeon world right uh mm-hmm. and so so it's interesting cuz you're like a lot of the the moves in apocalypse were uh, powered by the apocalypse games have this freedom of interpretation to them that may be more true now than it was when i was getting familiar with powered by the apocalypse because now it seems like every other fucking role-playing game 
on Kickstarter done by an indie producer is powered by the apocalypse, right? Mm-hmm. Well, actually, we're even past that now, right? Because, uh, like, now, I don't know, now people, like, fucking, like, carve cuneiform things into blocks of ice and shit, and, like, that's their mechanic. Like, it's getting a little, it's getting pretty strange out there. Like, <laughs> um, uh, like, kickstart, you know, cave ice, the fucking RPG. I don't know. Um, I'm starting to now. I'm starting to get a little bit get off my lawn kind of stuff, which is <laughs> it's not good. But like, okay. So one of the games that we have to have for the podcast then is an obligatory mention. Uh, let these mermaids touch your touch your deck, maybe. Oh Jesus Christ! <laughs> I, I was hoping we'd never have to bring that up again. Thanks. It's yep. the most oh. archaic thing that I can think of. The most bizarre one. I'm. I'm 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 enthused. Enlighten me. I'm enthused. Okay, so let me just post just the because, link. Yeah, it's just because you mentioned like the curve into cuneiform and stuff. It's like one of the game mechanics in this. Like you know those, like way back in like say the '90s, in malls and such. Like you'd have like those coin things, and you'd get like little toys out of them. And one of them was like those uh, stretchy, sticky hands. One of the game mechanics is basically swinging one of those at a dildo. <laughs> it's like, yeah. I mean, that's pretty fucking cool. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I'm in. I mean, I'm in. It's just so it. weird. Uh, it's just uh, so weird, though. It's like, wait, that's, mm-hmm. well, this is about, like, I think this is pretty close to the pinnacle of what you were describing. I mean, if I knew that that was a mechanic that somebody tried to put in an RPG uh, and not just, you know, my usual Sunday afternoon, I would have... <laughs> <laughs> I would have attempted to publish that first. Like, I just thought it wouldn't... Maybe people wouldn't like it. Uh, mm. um, well, no, but like, it's your regular Sunday afternoon. Right? Obviously, somebody likes it. Somebody somebody likes it. It's possible even that... I, that uh, um, my my play partners uh, have a copy of this game and just never told me it was a fucking RPG because they wanted it to not feel like work. <laughs> uh, uh, all right. See, this is why I have to go around Rob, and start asked, asking. Uh, this is uh-huh. Rob. Why I asked you on the on the Twitter what the what the viewership the, was the viewership was like. Yeah. <laughs> Because you're in good uh, hands. <laughs> okay, because I, you know, I can um, listen. It's been we all we're all tired. Uh, <laughs> you're like, look, man, we all tried it. Yeah, it's not. It's not like you're the only one that was like throwing silly putty in a dildo. Yeah, I gotta know. Yeah, that's about. It. Uh, oh lord. Anyway, we were talking about design, right? I think what? we were. I think we were. I thought we were. Who gives a shit? Um, Who gives a shit? I don't know. So tell me about. I want to go back to something. How much? Yeah. What's, what's our time at? Oh shit, we got plenty of time. I, I want to go back to this um, idea about this the this mess of story idea the the story as you know for the for the folks watching at home that did not go to grad school, it's essentially like the story that the characters are aware of, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so tell me about why 
you feel like that object what what do you feel the utility is of being aware of that that as a, concept as a, as a distinction as a, as a distinct object as a phenomenon yeah okay what, what I, utility I, does that provide you as a designer i'm curious uh for me as a designer that provides the utility of making the mechanics enjoyable and cohere to what the fiction is doing so so to me if if the mechanics can't tell so if the player if the characters in the game do a thing the mechanics should support that thing right sure yeah like, okay and there should be if there's a mechanic then it should have representation in the fiction that's that's my hypothesis if there's a if there's an rpg mechanic then there should be some representation of it in the fiction for it not to feel like a meta mechanic because there's so fate for me like bear like really skirts this line because fate has this thing where the the there's no real way that a character in the story of fate can know how many fate points they have right if there's no there's no fictional correspondence within their mind to what a yes. fate point is right it is a it is a outside the messa story uh effect and so why that's useful is because you that can help you detect where in a in a game game being the whole thing um the players may feel uh aren't where where you're getting that that sensation that people will describe as um uh breaking immersion right so it's yeah so it's useful to think of i i think it's useful to think about the mesa story as a target your mechanics should aim at and if you have mechanics if you need to have like ad hoc mechanics to make the game work and you can't think of a way for them to be represented in the fiction i think you should think extra hard about if you really need them hmm. okay um, that is that is an interesting answer Thank you. Uh, and then the other reason is because you want to make, I think it's, in, it's incumbent upon designers to make the meta fun as well. Not just the story that's happening in, to, for the characters, that should be enjoyable. I mean, it, it, not, it doesn't have to be fun all the time, but it should be enjoyable all the time. Sure, um, engaging. Engaging, engaging. Yes. yeah, engaging, yeah, yeah. That's that's the word I'm looking for. Yeah, it should be engaging, even when it's sad or like, heart, you know, like crazy, devastating, or however, you know, whatever emotion comes up, it, it should be an engaging emotion. Right. Um, but the the pieces, the game pieces that the players are using to manipulate that story should also be fun, like of themselves. So right. I think it helps to think about the meta like the because a lot of people think about the mechanics in terms of what it does to the story but i think it's useful to think about what the mechanics do to the players uh and if your mechanics can reinforce your fiction by making the players take similar actions i think that's a that's a way in which design can be mutually reinforcing in 
both directions meta and mess at the same time. So like if you're doing something in a game, if I understand correctly, if I understand correctly, what you're saying, what you're saying is that one benefit that that it gives you, looking at that as a discrete object, one benefit that it gives you is the ability to engineer your your system such mm-hmm. that the action a player outside of the world would take at any given time has as much as possible a one-to-one relationship with the action the character wants to take even though they are not aware theoretically if we're treating them as a mm-hmm. as a as a real thing uh that they are a character in a role-playing game right yeah and, and it's the kind of thing where it's like you want even if you're not doing the same thing you want to try and it's instill the same experience in some way so if you're if you're meaning for the character to feel an experience of loss it's very useful to be able to instill that experience of loss in the player as well however you do it right. so you know and a crit like a critical hit is a way D D does it like where it's like right. this is an exciting moment for the character and the player and the player sure yeah I think this is also important for dealing with like concepts of power gamers as well. Like mm-hmm. if it's not just that power gamers are trying to win the game, they're like when they make a character, what I found from the people that I've played with that are power gamers, they still do really great narratives and such. Like, it's not like this dichotomy of, oh, you have the person that stacks all the stats and then you have this other person that wants to to tell a story. It's like the person who's being the power gamer, usually they're looking at it from what I've discovered is they're looking at it from the character's perspective of, well, what would I naturally do if I want to be like the best swordsman in the world? They go and they make themselves the best swordsman in the world. And then it's like, well, you just made this obscenely powerful character. And it's like, well, that's what they would have done. It makes perfect sense. Like, part of the game's design should be that the actions that the player and the character want to do should kind of coincide. Like, if there's a discrepancy there, it actually starts getting a little awkward regardless of which side it's on. Like mm-hmm. if the player wants to do something and the character would not want to do that, then it's like, okay, maybe you're not playing the character that you actually would want to play or your character is not being presented with the information that they would need to be able to, to want to make this kind of decision. And vice versa, if the character wants to do something and the player's like, oh god, no, this is a terrible idea, but it's in character, so I guess I'm going to do it. Right. It's fine. So so one of the reasons why I am perpetually suspicious of this framework, okay, mm-hmm. is one, Occam's Razor characters aren't real. But besides that, uh, the degree to which a lot of bad habits in gaming come out of using the character as an alibi for shitty behavior (laughs) uh, yeah makes me very suspicious of the utility of that framing because i think you can achieve uh, rob all of the goals that you just Mm -hmm. said without having to concern yourself with the question of 
what the characters are or aren't aware of. Because they're, um, they're not real, man! Like I know they're not real, but I want to treat them as if they are real. Hmm. That's that's the whole thing. So, like, I want... If, if, if I'm playing an RPG, right, I do want to... I mean, personally, this is me personally, I try to maintain, like, some semblance of coherency in my in my settings and in my in my characters sure and to the extent that a game supports that coherency mechanically i tend to find i have more fun in those games right. so, yeah when there's when there's less distance right no i think that it yeah. is, i think that there is a that it is absolutely uh of utility to be aware of the the remove mm-hmm that a player's decisions are made at in in reference to the character in context to the character right mm-hmm. um and and that there is a, a a utility in to meet some design goals by pushing that closer to the character where you want the player where you want the player to be metaphorically speaking with their chin on the character's shoulder right mm-hmm. and then some design goals that are better met by sitting like primetime adventures does a lot where you're like in the writer's room right yeah 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 and and you're like let's talk very deliberately as a creative team about what the most interesting scene to place my character in next is Mm -hmm. and you as a player having that conversation with other players and you're character is you know obviously again characters aren't real so they're not doing anything but um so I think that I I I am curious about I worry I guess is a is a good okay. way to put it about the idea of investing the the mesa narrative with too much authority or too much power in well, the in the in the in the, the 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 framing of your your design right like characters Characters don't make choices. You make choices for characters. The fact that you're using a particular framework to constrain those choices does not make you not the agent, the responsible agent mm-hmm. at, at, at all times, right? Right. I'm, I'm not. I, I don't think I'm making that case that, that you're not responsible for the character's actions. I, for, for me, it's, it's about figuring out where your game isn't working. Right. It's about like from a design. This is not a perspective that I put in a game book so that the players are aware of it. You're right, like, sure, of course. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's a design, so it's a, design level. It's a it's a design level perspective, and the reason right. I think it's useful is because I it, it it's it, it you know it's a kind of Occam's razor, right? It, right? If 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 there's something here that I am using to because I have like how 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 far out of out of the games way am i going and in, in order to make one of these two things work right like am i having to do like i have to stack like all these extra mechanics in order for the story to move forward right or do i have to or do i have to like in D's case like there's this perpetual there's this perpetual discussion about do you fudge the dice or not yeah yeah and, right and well, right, it's because like, as Pat brought up earlier in that example of like, oh, if I'm having my fun fucking scene where I'm swinging on the damn shit right. to kick the thing, then I roll a one and I, you know, fall on my ants and look like a shithead or whatever, which is like yeah. terrible, right? Right, right, exactly. So like the, the yeah. thing is, is like, 
because there's a per perpetual discussion of do you fudge the dice or not in D&D &D? because I think D&D &D puts the randomization at the wrong spot in, in the equation. And it's like, mm -hmm. it's not, in some sense, the, the randomness when it goes wrong creates a fail state in the game at some level because like everybody kind of has this dot like this down moment and you're just like eh that was kind of meh right yeah dude, I, it depends on the right it depends on the group right like i definitely right. know a lot of groups for whom that is true sure um i i also know a lot of groups that have a lot of ma real masochists in them that like really celebrate uh, <laughs> sure. failure in a like in a strange in a strange way right but it but it's interesting it's interesting um that uh uh that it is an that is an interesting thought object right like mm -hmm. like what i find interesting is that 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 framing has this utility for you uh but that it is also possible to sort of think about the same the same uh elements of your design without that for, that conceptual framework being necessary right like oh, that's yeah, right? like this interesting is interesting uh Right. So that's what I was kind of looking for. I was kind of looking for is there is there a thing that this provides that is unique to that conceptual framing that you have to think about it that way in order to get to a certain piece of insight. My instinct says no, mm -hmm. but uh but I mean I don't I mean I don't know, but like I, I don't have a point. I, I think sorry. Oh no, that's fine. I'm not. I, I was just gonna say I'm not trying to achieve a point, get to a point here. <laughs> oh yeah, no, I, I'm not, I, I'm I know. Not going, I'm not going anywhere with this. Like I I'm think, just asking the question. Uh -huh. I think one of the the things that you had mentioned might actually not be consistently true. Okay. Which is the statement that the characters aren't real. Right. Because there's definitely a lot of um role players where that's totally true where it's like okay this character they don't really exist they just they're a marionette they do what i tell them to do right but what i found is that a lot of role players that have been role playing for a long time or if they do professional work like say an author like a lot of authors for books like when they're first starting out they tend to just control the characters and you tend to see this in a tv show where or a book or whatever where somebody's relatively new at this and you'll note that the characters are doing things because the script told them to do it mm -hmm. sure right yeah like it's really obvious that there's no reason for the character to do this they're just doing it because they need to do it for the plot to move along right there is another form of this where it's more almost like um almost like method acting where you right, become sure. the character right sure, sure and the and the character yeah. does they kind of exist temporarily in that it's almost like a splintered fragment of your consciousness where they have their own personality they have their own reasons for doing things it's not so much you're writing the character like the character is already fairly established you're more so just dumping them into a situation and seeing what they do right, right. you, you have don't a great... really have much direct mm -hmm. control right you have you have a subjective perception of the character having an internal 
reality that guides your decisions rather than you imposing a, an intent or a vision on the character. I mean, I've been I've been a stage actor since I was three. Like, uh, so I like I know exactly what you're talking about, and I'm sort of glad you brought up method acting because like one of the problems with method acting is that when method acting hit the United States and sort of metastasized into like what is now called like the Meisner technique and like a lot of like modern sort of schools of acting, mm -hmm. it brought with it a subset of Stanislavski's tools, like emotional yeah. memory, like the as if, like yada, yada, yada. Without bringing along with them the second half of Stanislavski's work, right? Where he talks about the necessary processes of sort of mental and emotional safety required for you to process this frame of mind, right? Yeah. Uh, on his deathbed, Stanislavski even himself said that emotional memory as a, as a isolated technique is deeply psychologically and emotionally dangerous to the performer. Agreed. So, so you don't say one of the reasons why you know again i resist this this framing a lot is because i see a lot of people in the hobby getting themselves into deep dark holes with mm -hmm. this kind of thing because because if you instantiate within yourself the belief that your character is real then to some degree you create a framework in which you are not responsible for your inactions anymore when you're portraying or 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 you know saying what the character or writing the character down like if you're talking about about the internal process that an author goes through in a mm -hmm. novel right um that shit can Let's get see. you into a lot of trouble right it can if you completely divert, divest yourself entirely of all right. responsibility, including their creation. I think that's the key point, is don't create a character in the first place that's going to be a total asshat to everyone around them. Right, like, but... If you don't put yourself into having a character that can be a terrible monster then you don't have to worry about them being a terrible monster well yeah but but like all all role-playing game play is negotiated like the the thing that that overgirds right all role-playing game play is social interact like the social contract in mm -hmm. the sense that like before we talk about anything else we're doing in an rpg we are four people who ostensibly share some kind of bond of trust engaging with one another as humans in a social activity right Mm -hmm. So, if you don't allow yourself the freedom to shift and move and change the characters as objects in response to the needs of that social negotiation, you're in trouble, right? But a lot of people would argue, I think wrongly, that like there's a point at which your responsibility to the character can exceed your mandate to do that and i don't believe that's ever the case okay i see what you're getting at yeah yeah and i don't i wouldn't say that if you're if you're taking that my framework to mean that there or 
it's not even my framework. It's a perspective that I use for design for, for, for design analysis. Yeah. Right. So that's uh, but like that's a very important distinction because just you saying this is a design tool, not a tool for play. Mm hmm. Hmm. immediately alleviates 90% of what I would otherwise articulate as my concerns, right? Oh, okay. Then, yeah. Sure. Uh, yeah. For uh, me, it, it's really about, like, does your, it, are the options you're you're providing to the character, well, I mean, so one of the things is, like, are you providing options to the characters that they're just not going to use? Right. Because there's, there's a disconnect somewhere. Like, right. you want to find out where that is because, like, either the story part of the object that you created isn't interesting, which is sometimes the case, like, no matter how cool an ability is, like the, if you attach fiction to it, that's just kind of lame. People right. go like, eh, you know. Uh, and, and so there's, it, it's it's a, it's just a perspective for analyzing your game outside of the normal holistic perspective that right. I think I feel a lot of mechanics get analyzed through, and a lot of mechanics end up being things that are solving problems for the developer, right. and not solving problems for the player. And so, uh, sorry, go ahead. Yeah, go, no, 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 go ahead. Can you, finish, you can finish your thought. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to. No, I was done. That was it. Okay. Yeah. Cat, uh, <clears throat> are you familiar with the, the, with uh, the, a col there's a colleague of mine, Sarah Lynn Bowman. Are you familiar with her? I might be. I'm really terrible with names. So she is, she's a, um, <clears throat> she's a, an academic, right? Uh, who's mostly well known in LARP circles, uh, who has done a lot of academic writing and study on LARP and the nature of LARP. And to some degree, role-playing is an activity sort of in general, but she's like one of the first people to take like a legit, like sociological framework, right? Mm -hmm. And sort of think about, mindfully about what it is that we do. And one of the things that she talks about was how she sort of talks about that, that character, the, the sense of internal reality that characters have. Mm -hmm. is that their job is to provide an alibi, right? And this idea of alibi features very strongly in a lot of how she talks about, about the experience of immersing with a character, and especially in LARP, you get some of the same kinesthetic effects in LARP that you do in stage acting. They call mm -hmm. it bleed, right? Yep. Where like there's yeah. an emotional <laughs> transference between your character and yourself that because your your body is acting out the, the fiction of having an emotion, your limbic system kicks in after the fact and, and gives you that emotion, right, or whatever, right? Yeah. Yeah, it's um, based on the same concept of, like, if you're in, like, a terrible mood, if you smile right. for, like, 20 minutes straight, you are no longer in a you're no bad longer in a mood, terrible. which right. is weird. Um, but, but, but she talks about this thing that you're talking about in a very useful way, I think. Mm -hmm. um, um, because she talks about about the providing of alibi, that what a character does, what respecting the constraints of a character allows you to do is to uninhibitedly engage in behavior that you, in your own self-concept, would not engage in. Right? Yeah, that's and, something and that like, you kind of need in some degrees. Right. Like, and like what you face it, the average person isn't going to go around and, you know, be a murder hobo and murder the fuck out of everything that they see. They're not going right. to, like, a lot of people, like, even in wars, like, they know very well that the vast majority of people in combat, yeah. not only will they not even fire their weapons, they won't even aim 
at people. Like, yeah, yeah. you can't even get most soldiers to point a gun at another human being. Right. Uh, so, like, so that's an interesting... I, I think that that framing, when we talk about sort of, like, the Mesa, the Mesa narrative, the Mesa mm-hmm. uh, reality of, of a, of a role-playing game... Uh, for me, it's it's more useful to think about it in in that term of like strengthening or weakening an alibi, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, that if your that if your mechanics are designed in a particular way, um, then then the the alibi that the character provides has a weak impact on you, right? Because you're because you're framing things from you're doing things from a distance making decisions from a distance or mm-hmm. or you're making decisions on a, on a on a strategic level that then impact the character on another level when you actually apply it to play right, right? and like mm-hmm. the there is a maybe that maybe weak is the wrong word but that that alibi is less of a tool in that game mm-hmm. whereas there are games where mm-hmm. It is very important design-wise for that character to provide you a strong alibi because yeah. if it doesn't, how are you going to convince yourself to swing the silly putty at the dildo? Right. Well, yeah, I mean, I think, I think a really strong example of that is like uh, the, the, like the Bluebeard's Bride type stuff yeah, where yeah, yeah. you have you know, a very explicit permission for a dude who's never thought about like the different aspects of being female to like experience, you know, one of those aspects really strongly for, for like an hour or two. Right. And uh, it's very important that, 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 that alibi exists and you give yourself permission to act as if you wouldn't, because you're acting on the constraints that are imposed on you from at a meta level, but are constraining your Mesa action. Right. You know? But, uh, uh- but there's also a little bit of like, I mean, there's a little bit of bias too on my part because I I will admit that when I hear people sort of faff off about, and my character did this and my character did that, <laughs> and, and my, you know, and I was just a messenger and I you know discovered all of these things that the character did, I kind of roll my eyes a bit like, like, and I'm saying this I'm saying this as a guy who like I said has been. A, a stage actor for his entire life and has been paid to, to act and like been like and and has been deep enough in the moment mm-hmm. to like cry at emotional stuff like i'm i understand all of the psychological and physiological processes of getting into that state of being yeah right? but, yeah but, but like, the but issue like, is i think that the average player for the most part isn't aware of those things it's right. something yeah, yeah. you have to take into consideration because well, they and- can wind up into a situation where they can be harmed and they don't really understand it that's why i explicitly discourage like the concept of an avatar in my game because yeah, yeah these are some pretty difficult things that this is exploring like betraying the value that you considered most important to you it's like you don't want to put an avatar in that situation which is a reflection of the actual player it's like no we kind of need to make this kind of distinctively different from you as a person because otherwise bad things could happen like the game is not a trained psychologist if things start going bad um yeah i 
I don't want to be responsible for people ending up fucking <laughs> killing themselves. Like, uh, right. that's not a good thing. Right? Yeah. Uh, no. Right. I. 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 I see. Yeah. I. I definitely understand. Uh, well, and I think it's important. And I tell just about every person who is who I know that has done real work, especially in LARP. I have had a conversation with them at a convention about that about utilizing the second half of Stanislavski, right, to like bring back in the 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 coping techniques, right, and the safety mm -hmm. techniques, um, sort of underlined by the uh, by the method, and you know, just you know, stuff that's come up since then. Um, because if we're gonna if we're gonna push LARP. Uh, and I think it happens in tabletop role-playing games, too. I don't mean to single out LARP, uh, uh, because I think that in, in a player's mind at the table, it happens just as vividly. It mm -hmm. can happen just as vividly as if they're acting it out on a LARP, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. That, that, these, that these safety tools and techniques should be taught alongside the, the, other, the other stuff that we say about role-playing so that we can achieve a high level of engagement without endangering anybody. I agree. I think I think that's a very a very good point. Actually, I think I'm gonna do a quick note for myself here to make sure that I actually do include that yeah, as well. Yeah, I mean, it, it's something that I'm I'm actively working towards as it, my game develops. Is so. I mean, part part of it is I want to try and develop. I mean, the game has an experiential skill set within that I am hoping that turns into a portable skill set outside of the game. Sure. And part of that are are psychotechnologies for development, hmm. uh, taken from cognitive behavioral science and 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 uh, various other sources. Hmm. But I'm, I am I am doing a lot of research into. I did not expect to do this much, uh, but here I am, like ten years later, just down rabbit holes on psychology and and anthropology and just sorting it out. Just trying to. I I don't even know what I'm doing at this point. If I'm making a game or if I'm just trying to make sense of how the world works mechanically, like in a narrative <laughs> way. <laughs> Well, you know, one thing that you have working to your advantage is that uh, human memory, the format of the human memory is narrative, right? Yeah. Uh, like, like, uh, uh, so an interesting example of all this stuff they were talking about, right? Like, there's an interesting, and I, you know, I do... I, the fact that everything that I want to talk about in RPGs can be talked about by talking about something that Meg and Vincent, or Meg by herself or Vincent by himself mm -hmm. designed, uh, is uh, like I know I sound like a broken fucking record, but I mean they are really brilliant to do them. Um, yeah, we we had them on the show actually. They were they were are, super cool. Yeah, are you? Oh, they are super cool. Yeah. and it's funny because like uh, I. I uh, like I'm I'm a I have a I'm known uh, for saying stuff about Vincent's designs in public that like, <laughs> uh -huh. 
are kind of, if 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 you didn't know that I loved him dearly, you would mm-hmm. think that they were slams, but they're not. Like like I like to tell people that Vincent's design ethos is that he's the RPG designer where the system is an asshole to you, and that's the whole point of his fucking. That is his whole design. Like every single one of his designs is like, I'm gonna pick a different way for the system to be an asshole to you so that you can take that very visceral reaction you have from the system being an asshole to you and do something interesting with it, right? Right. Yep. Um and uh um in a wicked age. That's not necessarily a bad thing. No, no, I, it, not only yeah. not only is it not a bad thing, but it is right, catapulted him to the the rock star hundred air status that he, no. <laughs> that he currently that he currently has I love you, Vincent. If he's listening, I have to yeah, I don't think he's listening. Like, I mean, I'll tell him. They're like, no, it's fine. No, I, it, it's uh, he's great. Um, but in a wicked age, let's talk about in a wicked age for a second. Familiar yeah. with in a wicked age, okay? Mm-hmm. Yep, man. So in a wicked age crosses this this meta mesa boundary in a really interesting way because uh, the characters in the the game have mechanics that they use to do actions, right? And they, when you do an action, you fit it to a category of stuff, and you get grab, gather dice that match up with those things, and there's a contest procedure and all that mm-hmm. stuff, right? Yep. And then there's this mechanic called the We Owe List, which is the mechanic that determines which characters from the chapter you're playing get the privilege of appearing in future chapters. Here's the asshole part. If you play your character to the hilt pursue your objectives ruthlessly always use your biggest dice and play to your strengths and utilize all of your advantages to get the stuff that you want it is very likely that you will steamroll over anybody that is in your way unless you roll i mean you can roll shittily too i mean it's not a guarantee right Mm -hmm. but if you go balls out doing what your character probably would do, ideally to get what they want. We will never see you in the story again. Because the way that you get on the we owe list is by losing a contest in the first round of a contest against somebody who has bigger dice than you. Mm-hmm. So he has instantiated two mechanics that operate at different distances between the mess and the meta right yeah he's got he's got the mechanic that you can play with your proverbial chin on the character's proverbial shoulder Mm -hmm. and then there's the mechanic that you want to play your character as an underdog and play their vulnerabilities yep if you want them to continue to be in the story and there is no negotiation about this in the rules of the game, if you are not on the Wii O list, we never see your character again. It doesn't matter how much everybody enjoyed your portrayal of them. It doesn't matter how much they contributed to the story in terms of richness. Like all of the normal, laudable traits we would consider to be part of the care of portraying a rich character in an RPG, it doesn't matter how much you've entertained the other players at the table. If that character is not on the wheel list, we never see them again. Because they, according to the rules of In a Wicked Age, do not deserve to be in the story anymore. Right. Yeah, because the idea is that they got what they wanted. 
right? Right. And right. so, like, who cares now? Mm. Like, that's right. they, their story came to an end. Right. Like, it's, yeah, yeah like, it, it 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 does the thing where it's like it has to scaffold the incentives just enough. Right. Yeah. So the question then is, from your framework, right? Mm -hmm. How do you even play that game? Because if you find yourself pulled towards playing to your character's strengths, you're inevitably pushing them out of the story. And if you find yourself pushing towards your character's vulnerabilities so that you will continue to end up on the O list, mm -hmm. they will continue to get the shit kicked out of them, be miserable, and never get what they want. Mm -hmm. So what the fuck do you do? And I'm not saying that there's an answer to that question. I'm saying that, that the presence of the question is one of the things that makes that design so interesting, right? Yeah. I mean, uh, I, I, I think it's... Uh, there, there's so, so what's interesting there is, like, it, it's really useful to think of them, it, from, from my perspective, as story creation engines for that reason because you it's not about playing the role of the character it's about it's about cre creating an optimal story around the character as as the puppeteer of this marionette right and, and but, it could, but it could be it could be right because like you can play it as the marionette and like that's the well, sure path right yeah you could also play it close to the bone and really advocate for that character and then never mm -hmm. see them again so when is when is making that shift when is making that switch worth it to you? Is it ever worth it to you? Does the fact that you have to confront that choice something that will take you out of the game? Oh no! Right? Because because for some people that is true. Like uh, like I uh, quite a few people that I have mm -hmm. met in my travels have very strongly negative opinions about In a Wicked Age, precisely because the system forces them to confront that choice. Mm, I see. So and that just takes them out of the experience, right? Right, right, right. Sorry. Go ahead, Kat. Sorry, Kat. So, so um, from what you were saying about like Vincent's game, then, so the idea of like you want to play the underdog character, you want to have like a character that fails. The thing is, I th think that's probably not a particularly good way to actually handle that kind of concept because like the idea is you want to have an interesting character is largely interesting because they are ending up fighting things that are more powerful than they are in some ways but the thing is you also want them to be playing to their strengths at least some of the time if you set it up in such a way that you're penalizing the character and thereby penalizing the player by having the character actually try to do things properly. Well, what's, I mean, what's this can lead to some... Just so that you're aware, right? You can walk the tightrope. Like, it is possible in playing In a Wicked Age for you to walk mm -hmm. the, the tightrope that you're talking about. Where you can, like, as, My... soon as, you, as soon as you get on the O list... You can be like, okay, we're going to see my character in at least one more chapter. Now I can go chase what I want. Yeah, see, the thing is, I think it kind of sets up a 
a poor setup for the players to set up their characters in that way. I think it's more on the game's responsibility from a design perspective to give the character a proper challenge to fight in the first place. Like, if you make a very powerful character, then you should pit them against a very powerful adversary. Like, you well, don't right. just be like, oh, this, I've created Superman. It's like, well, I guess we're never going to see Superman again. One, it's like, well. One missing piece let's... of information, too, about how In a Wicked Age works is that um, the every time you do a new chapter, you make a set of new characters, except for the person on the O list, right? The person on the O list gets to play their character again in the next chapter. Everybody else makes new characters. You make new characters. If you're not on the O list, you make new characters every chapter. But also, each chapter is designed so that the char player characters themselves are each other's opposition. Like, they have goals that are in conflict, oh, okay. right? Okay, that would make sense then. It's a, it's a big circle because... of fuck. That's right. the whole thing. No, that, like, that makes yeah. perfect sense because if you get one character that's very effective and the other players did not play their characters to be very effective, then you're not going to have that uh, proper counter right. to them. Like you, you won't have the proper adversary in that case. So yeah, it makes right. sense. And like, and, be and because a PvP kind of set up, it is a PVP. Like it's exactly PVP set up mm -hmm. because there's no party. There's no, like, you're a party of people pursuing a goal. Mm -hmm. So, like, because your competition with each other is sort of encouraged and made acceptable in the social contract, it doesn't create any of the problems, right? Because you're like, it's not really about whether I win or lose. It's about I have to provide a strong opposition to these other characters' goals so that we can create entertaining shit. Yeah. Uh, and then if I lose, well, I played the villain role awesomely and I lose, I will play a new character in the next chapter. Who cares? Uh, or if I win, or if there's a, a mix in between, right? Of like, oh, I barely won. And then also I get on the O list so we get to see this character again at another point in their life or whatever, yada, yada, yada. Right. And, and the whole point of the, the long-term play of it it's called the anthology engine because the whole point of play is to when you have gone 10 or 20 chapters down the road, you will have a collection of narratives that resemble the old sword and sorcery stories where they're not necessarily in chronological order. They mm -hmm. don't necessarily have all the same characters in them. They all take place in this world, right? But we mm -hmm. have characters coming in and out. So it's more like a fiction anthology written about this about the world. Yeah, <clears throat> uh, that's um, I mean that's so so. I I strongly so okay so let me, let me see think about how to phrase this well, exactly. Think yeah. about that for a second, and yeah. I also want to add real quick. Yeah, Cat, that your observations are still insightful on the level that Vincent himself has described in a Wicked Age as a failed game. Uh, mm. and I think he was being, when he, in the particular moment he said that, I think he was being real harsh on it, but, uh, but like, it is notable. It I think it, it would be better to describe it as this is for a very specific niche audience. Sure. Uh, but like, but it is notable 
that when you talk about Vincent's games, what everyone talks about is Apocalypse World. Like people don't talk about In a Wicked Age unless they're me and they've been around forever. Uh, so like he himself is like, okay, that was a thing I tried. I learned mm. lessons from that thing that I have then applied forward into other designs, right? Mm. Uh, so for you to say this setup seems fraught with the potential for for peril, not peril in the fictional sense, right? But peril in the meta sense, in, yeah. In the meta sense, mm -hmm. you are correct. <laughs> like you know, <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, I I played it. Uh, I played it twice. Like right, right after it came out, a friend of mine got it, and it it exactly was that. It was like this is a circle of fuck. We're not sure exactly what we're supposed to be doing here, but it's like it's kind of weird. Um, but oh, but what I, what I wanted to get to was the the thing you said about like this is not this is the 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 prompts for creating cool shit, not exactly doing what our characters would do and that's right. that's part of what i the perspective that that about that is 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 like you if you are doing you are trying to structure a particular mesa narrative whether that's a one-to-one -one player relationship or not if it's not a one-to-one -one player relationship and you are focusing on the like the engine of the game the mechanics of the game are doing the thing that provide for cool story moments, not necessarily scaffolding for player actions, as in most RPGs are like when a player when an action takes place, roll dice. Yeah. Or, you know, see see if your action is successful or not. But if the game is, you know, take use this opportunity or this resource or this mechanic and then create a story moment or a story beat or something like right. that. The framework still, the perspective of like what you know your meta mechanic influencing your the mess narrative still is still useful to conceptualize because of you can if only if only for detecting disconnects, right? Uh, for detecting, right? Yeah. If only if only for detecting disconnects, right? Um, uh, but yeah. the, it's the cool shit. If it's not, if your mechanics aren't doing cool shit in the narrative, something's wrong. Right. Yeah. You know. This is why this is one of the reasons why so many so many people got got their their uh hackles raised by that one fucking cleric ability in D D fourth edition where the cleric bonks the enemy on the head and it heals his buddy. <laughs> right. Yeah, I'm it was like, it was a fictional what? disconnect. People were like, How the fuck does that work? Yeah. 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 Come on, I, I totally have an entire like specialization focused around that. Yeah, and it's not, it's a thing in fifth edition now, so like people are swallowing it perfectly fine, but yeah, right. Well, fifth, right, right, that would right. But it, I remember that, I remember that being like the single example that I saw on forums talking about fourth edition for fucking months of like, yeah. how can you call this a role playing game if hitting your enemy on the head with your mace heals your buddy? How is that even possible? It's called fucking magic. I'm like magic also is impossible, but okay, okay man. Yeah. Right. But I, mean, I think how do you call it a role playing game when you can cast a fireball? But I think, but I think it le it does lead to this idea, right? That there is like that that the dissonance that you're talking about, Rob, mm -hmm. is a real is a real phenomenon that is worth examining. Mm -hmm. However, it is that you frame it conceptually, right? Yeah. Yeah. I yeah. Just and this I, is I keep. 
I keep coming back to this because I have never given a, f a single fuck about what a character is or isn't aware of in the, in the, in the process of like me designing mechanics right, for an RPG. I'm yeah, like, what, whatever, the character's not real. Whether the player is consciously aware of it or not, they are the responsible agent that makes all decisions for characters. What the... Fine-tuning that action is my job. Like, the fact that when it all comes out in the wash a mess and narrative appears is i mean it's really like i keep saying it's a byproduct of play yeah so so my my, my rp my rpg is a game in which the characters are aware that they're that of their own story and they're aware that they can manipulate their own story and right. so that's i mean it, it plays into my very specific needs of like, i had a feeling I, yeah that that it, of course. I mean, yeah. I would, other, why would I create it otherwise? I'm, I'm not. Right. Why, right. Why would you care? Otherwise? Yeah. Why would I care? It's like it's like I have this I have this game in which, you know, part of what you're doing as a character in the game is finding where the worst parts of the story are, and going there and trying to make them better. And but like, it's the narrative that is the thing. It's not so much the event. You know what I mean? Like it's. Sure. You're, you're, in some sense, you as the player. So, so the characters are aware of like their roles. For example, they're aware of the randomness, and they can manipulate the randomness, and they they know when they're doing that. This reminds and, me. Mm -hmm. this, remi this reminds me of that whole thing at the end of. I don't know how familiar you are with uh, Over the Edge. <laughs> yeah, I, I I took a class with Jonathan uh, this past year, so yeah. Oh, okay, cool. Uh, yeah, yeah. And he's so, been like, on the show too. Oh, enough. cool. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, he has that thing. There's that thing in the previous edition of Over the Edge where, like, mm -hmm. literally one of the the conspiracy endings of the campaign is literally like a portal opens and the book instructs the GM to describe like your character is walking into the room, right? <laughs> and like literally the universe the messy universe and the meta universe literally like meet for a moment but i'm like clearly this was put here as a thought exercise or at least i hope it was because <laughs> if, if you are unable to manifest or substantiate that in physical reality how do you play it like how do you it's like a messa it's like messa exception right it's like yeah, right, exactly. a meta narrative that is producing a messa narrative that is producing another messa narrative that is about the meta narrative which is like what fucking what if you have control over it like that's a major plot point in knights of pen and paper as a it's a mm. video game rpg but it's based on like role-playing so you literally have your players sitting at the table and the player character the players themselves are their own characters and they're playing the characters in the game right. and at some point in the game the characters in the game enter into the real world and then you actually start having like combat happening in places they're aware of oh, so sure. it's like yeah this is the corner store and it's like Oh shit! Did we actually just destroy the corner store? Right. Yeah. Right. I have. I have. To, I have to get my groceries. Like, 
the quarters that they are the National Guard helicopters coming? Like the fuck? <laughs> yeah. Um, there's a uh, shit. What was the the um the fucking thing that I was thinking about? Uh oh, so Hong Kong Action Theater. I don't know if you're familiar with that. Um, I've heard of it. Yeah. Right. That's, a, it. that's an RPG. I always. I, this is the thing I love to do in in interviews, not because I actually feel any sort of pro- actually the opposite. It's like it's extremely self-deprecating. Like I'm embarrassed by it. I will always get to that point where I'm like, oh yeah, so it's like in this game when, and they're like, Lenny, you're like one of five people to read that fucking game. <laughs> but, um, but like, because I was, I'm a, a, obsessed. Uh, I am. Um, so there's that whole school of thought that you don't really have to have immersed too deeply in the in the previous in the history of the you don't have to know the history of the hobby to design rpgs well right yeah certainly i believe that's true for other i i I certainly believe that's true for other people for me (laughs) like it has been this like uh ridiculous and perhaps almost shameful like 33 year investment of oh yeah entirely too much energy but uh (laughs) but um uh, Hong Kong Action Theater, and I'm talking about the original one, not the not the Guardians. Guardians of Order did a one that was based off of the Triad Stat, the Big Eyes, Small Mouth. Uh, mm-hmm. Oh, okay, that's uh, probably where I heard of it then. Yeah, I'm not talking about that yeah. one. I'm talking about the fucking original, original one. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, you know, the conceit in it is that you play actors who right. are playing characters in a Hong Kong action movie. And so your character sheet is actually the actor. So you're playing Jet Li. You're playing Donnie Yen. You're playing, you know, whoever. Uh, Anita Mui and so on and so forth. And, uh, and the adventures are the films that you get cast in. So there's a weird sense of continuity because you're always these actors, but you will... But one session you're playing the de- the the detective movie, the modern day detective thriller, right? Mm-hmm. And it's all the same actors in the movie. And then like next week you play like the Wuxia hopping vampires movie, right? Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. And and it's the but you're still the same actors, right? So there's certain stats that you have that that have a continuity between movies. Mm-hmm. But what those stats represent is essentially what are you best at playing on the screen. Hmm. So if your character has like a high physique, what that means is that you have like a team of personal trainers that, you know, like, and and you use this currency called star power to force the director, AKA the GM to do script rewrites that feature you in a more uh, optimal uh, uh, position. Hmm. So like so the question is what happens when you have a character that or well an actor in this case where it's basically like Sean Connery who can play Sean Connery really really well. Well that's so there, it's, it's called like, Hong, it's called Hong Kong Nation Theater so that that kind of device doesn't end up really being a part of the game because that's not really a Well that well actually in in a sense they're all like that because every because when you watch a bunch of different Jackie Chan movies. Jackie Chan's character is always Jackie Chan. He's this yep. bumbling, silly, 
you know, nervous character that for some reason knows chair foo or whatever, right? Mm -hmm. Like, I don't want trouble. Right, I don't want trouble. Right, master, that kind of right, and like obviously now because again, this was a long time ago, and now we're old. So uh, Jackie Chan has now. Because he's you know older, he's done a bunch of different kinds of roles. He's done like he was in the foreigner. He just he's done a lot of dramatic. His acting, the stuff that you've seen him do on film has a wider range, right? But back in the day, when you watched a Jackie Chan movie, you were watching getting a very specific kind of product. He was essentially speaking playing Jackie Chan in movie after movie after movie. So that's the idea: is every player character is Sean Connery. They are an iconographic actor in Hong Kong cinema that is known for a particular style and kind of role, their fans expect to see that in every movie, and it doesn't matter if it's fantasy or modern day crime or whatever it is, you had better bring that thing because that is what drives your star power, right? It is kind of weird, though, because like Sean Connery and Jackie Chan basically did a reversal of each other. Like Jackie Chan as you described, he started going into a wider range of things. Like right. some actors do manage to get to do that. Like right. um, then you have like Sean Connery. He has an insanely wide range he can do, but as his career went on, it narrowed and narrowed and narrowed sure. because they kept typecasting him because he had that one thing that he did that there's not a lot of actors that can do that very well. So right. it's, it's really weird that he actually got more typecast <laughs> as he went on. I, I, right? Yeah, this just makes me wonder if, like, a game like this would actually have mechanics for the characters that get exactly. typecast and the ones that brought out, like, broaden their style over time. Really like, current, in, the, all... in, the, in the incarnation that it was published in, it did not have anything like that, right? Like, there was. The, the, all that stuff I just told you was just a, a was a framing to set up the conceit for play, right? And that, mm-hmm. okay. Well, and then play the was that, was what it was, right? The thing that makes me think about this is that it it does go directly into like how game design works for a lot of games, where the standard method of character progression in most RPGs or at least a very large chunk of them, especially anything that's based on D&D, is your characters become more specialized over time. Like, right. they may have a wide range of things they're capable of, but as right. they become disproportionately good at one thing, right. they basically get narrowed into just doing well, that one thing. So, so one of the interesting things that, that Hong Kong Nation Theater does, and it's I, I'm amazed that we're spending this much time talking about this game. I'm very fond of this game. But like, you know, obviously it did not, it did not, uh, to my dismay and chagrin, fly off shelves, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, yeah. uh, I hope Gareth is. Yeah, not, this, this is Gareth, very Gareth, much I a podcast about talking about this random game for thirty minutes. Sorry. Right. Yeah. 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 It is it's totally normal. Go right ahead. Yep. Is <laughs> um and and like Gareth and Gareth Gareth Michael Skarka, right? Who's the the designer, right? It's like. My buddy. So, like, Gareth, if you're listening, I'm, the, you know, you know that it didn't sell all that great either. So, it was... <laughs> <laughs> all right, man. Totally but, um, trying to show your stuff, but, <laughs> but, but, like, but I love, but I love it, and I love, and I love you. So, uh, we'll include um, a link in the show notes. 
Uh, you can't find it's not a print now. You can't like there's no. It doesn't oh, exist. there's nowhere to get it? Oh, no, shit. no. There's nowhere to get either of them because, of course, Guardians Order of Order had their uh, problem. They imploded, uh, like, you know. Oh, you can get you can get the second edition on DriveThruRPG. Oh, really? Yeah. I don't, but, yeah, I, I, don't, I, don't like, I don't like the second edition as much. But, okay. uh, because it's, it's just a, it's just a, a Tristat, another Tristat adaptation, right? Which is like, do we need, like, another one? Mm. Um, uh-uh. But uh, oh man, we must. We are getting late into the night because I'm starting to yeah. get snarky. But um, uh, <laughs> uh, one thing that's really interesting, Cat, to your point about the about that in H Cat, is how it handles the roles you get cast in. So what's interesting is if I get cast as the detective, like say I'm I'm playing Jet Li, or an actor that is like Jet Li, where what they're known for is agile martial arts, right? I don't do a lot of gunplay because I don't have a lot of training in gunplay, um, but I do a lot of martial arts and I'm agile and you know all that stuff. Um, I don't play a lot of charismatic social roles, whatever. That's all the stuff that's on my sheet. Okay. Mm-hmm. When you get cast as a role, the role also gives you stats that only work for that movie. That makes sense. So. So if I get cast as the detective, I will get, you know, five dots in detective or whatever. While I'm in that movie playing that role, because the script is going to do everything that it needs to do in order to make it seem like I'm an awesome detective. Yeah, see, that's something that I'm a little surprised that more games don't because i mean it makes sense in this case because you're playing the same character but there's the the same player and yeah you're going to be changing through different roles but this is something that should be kind of a standard in just the industry as a whole like the concept of okay i'm gonna play like a mage we'll say something stereotypical it's like shouldn't the mage class or the concept of being a mage automatically come with the stuff so that you can be a mage instead of just oh yeah sure right well some some games handle it with language right some games handle it with um you know part of how fate some games don't handle it <laughs> some games don't handle it at all right no no right yeah, yeah. yeah. um but but it, some games do try and handle it right one of the ways that fate tries to sort of split the difference is that aspects cover a lot of ground right yeah. so so you can say trained as an academy mage is one of your aspects and if there's for whatever reason anything that the sheet doesn't cover anywhere else you can be like oops i spent a fucking fate point i got the thing fuck you right so <laughs> like uh, i recommend by the way doing it exactly like that at the table every yeah, yeah, time, yeah. Every time. Sure. that's how that's how i play and i'm the designer so clearly <laughs> that is that is correct. correct yeah canon Canon, stamp it, ship it. Yep. Uh, um. <laughs> okay. Well, uh, now it's kind of good we're not on Twitter because you would definitely have a very long list of people arguing. Oh, oh I know. I'm. I am. I. I am. As. Uh, as you know, Roland. Roland Barth. Uh. Uh. Or whatever. Uh, is. Uh, has. 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 Uh, exclaimed. Barth. Barthes. I, I don't know how to pronounce his name. I am dead. As a designer, I am dead, right? Like I don't, I don't, I don't exist in my opinion on the thing. Doesn't matter. Uh, 
So I don't think that's entirely true. I think that <laughs> I think that it does kind of have some weight to it. Like I think that you're correct for the most part that the people that are at the table are going to overrule the designer for the most part. But like if you have someone like say Mike Merles makes a statement on Twitter. There are definitely people who take that as absolute literal truth that this is the one way to do it. I don't I don't want to chicken out on this topic, but can I just make a personal request that we not spend any large amounts of time talking yep. about Mike Merles? 100%. <laughs> like it's a it's a personal request. I just really don't man. Yeah. No, no, good. good enough. I was just there... using him as an example because there are definitely people who do well, right. take and that, what he says as absolute. This is the word of God. It cannot be changed. And that right. rabbit hole is deep. Well, and and it's hard as a designer. I know this is yeah. like gonna be. This is gonna sound a little fucking whiny because it's like, oh, pity poor designer. You fucking wrote the Dresden Files RPG, won two Origins awards and ten NEs. Pity poor you. But like, yeah. But like. <laughs> It's hard as a designer to participate. You have to really modulate your conversations with end users, um, mm-hmm. fans. Other people, I try to call them end users. The more typical word to use is fans. I call them end users for my own emotional safety. Uh, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> that way, your fans don't turn on you. You have end users that don't like your product. Because, yeah. because anything you say has that weight of authority mm-hmm. like the uh, like my favorite conversations to have about fate are with people who don't give a fuck that i designed it mm-hmm. because like they will tell it, you things that you may not want to hear or well, disagree and, with well, you but, but it and if i do it doesn't matter because it's published right like what you do with it you bought it what you do with it is your problem right yep um yeah. Uh, I will take my my pennies <laughs> that I actually got paid ten years ago all the mm-hmm. way to the bank because I don't I don't make any money off sales of fate but uh, um, but no but it is difficult like you have to as a designer really modulate I guess this is a because I know that y'all are aspiring uh, in this regard mm-hmm. be aware that if if you get traction mm-hmm. on your thing you will never be able to talk to your fans about your product in an in in a way that does not have a a power dynamic that is very hard to overcome right like mm-hmm. like yeah i deliberately stay away from a lot of conversations about fate on the internet because if i show up and say something right it is going to be seen as definitive even though it shouldn't, because I already wrote the thing and published it. And and, and more to the point, an older version of me did that. Mm-hmm. Like 2020, in the 195th day of April, Leonard Balsera, <laughs> in the time of COVID, did not write Fate Core. Right. 2004... Yeah. 2003 Leonard Balsera did and that guy was a real different guy who like knew different stuff about the craft right. had different opinions and ideas about the the craft and 
and and so on and so forth. So so it's almost like even now, like the further you get away from its publication, in a sense, there are probably a lot of people and users of Fate that have more authority over it than I do because the person that wrote it is displaced from me in time. Right? Hmm. Uh, yeah, I think that's probably true that especially if you leave a project, like you work on another project, yeah. like you've worked on many different games since then. Right. There are some people that that's the game they've been playing for a decade plus straight. Sure. Right. So they basically become the authority on it whereas you're like oh fuck i don't even remember writing that I don't remember what i did oh my friend that shit started happening to me immediately after the publication of the dresden files rpg i remember i did a i did a thing in uh like a little dresdecon like a little mini thing in uh in a gaming store in oakland called endgame mm -hmm. which god rest his soul is no longer there uh <laughs> and um, I, we were signing copies of the books, and we had the books available for sales. Like one of the first, you know, it was, it was getting it was published, right? And we did, and I ran a game, uh, up in the loft because the 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 layout was cool because the it had a loft, and the loft was the gaming space. So the bottom floor was the store, mm -hmm. and the upstairs was the gaming space. Really cool setup. Uh, and um, someone came and asked me of what should have been a real simple question for me to answer, right? Like, they asked me how the game handles thresholds. Because that's a big idea in the Dresden Files that, like, your home or, or churches, places where mm -hmm. collective belief gathers, have these thresholds, right, that are yep. that are a semi-permeable proof against supernatural incursion, right? Mm -hmm. They were like, mm -hmm. yeah, I'm really curious to, to know how the game handled that idea. Uh... And I said, well, let's go look. And I led this person over <laughs> to the counter, grabbed a fucking copy of the book, looked in the index, and was like, where did I put the section on the threshold? <laughs> I don't remember. And I answered yeah. the question by reading my own rules back to myself. <laughs> and then... Uh smoothly transitioned because i'm a, this is I, i've been on stage since i was three to talking in greater detail about why i made that decision because then then after i read it on the page i remember what the fuck i was thinking mm -hmm. and then i was like i was like and this is you know the reason why i did it this way blah blah blah, blah. they were they had a wonderful moment of engagement with a game creator mm -hmm. I handed them the copy of the book that was in my hands, and they purchased it immediately. Awesome. Uh, but, you yeah. know. And that person was Albert Einstein. But in my head, mm -hmm. no, it was, uh, it, was LeVar, <laughs> it was LeVar Burton. Uh, and, uh, uh, no, well, it, wasn't, it wasn't LeVar Burton. But, um, but LeVar Burton does own a copy of Fate Accelerated. Sweet. Uh, That's sweet. Also That's sold awesome. to him, also sold by the proprietors of Endgame. Mm, so he cool. did actually get it in the in that store, uh, which is why it came to mind. Yeah. But but um, uh, but yeah, but yeah, I don't. 
and I especially because once you when you start when you do this the type of circuit that I did, mm-hmm. which is you start doing the freelance contracts and stuff mm-hmm. like when you when you get into that business small b business such as it is uh you everything that you do is in one ear and out the other maybe not maybe that's not the case maybe other designers have a different experience than i do but my experience of it is i got the job the job was for twenty thousand words on a thing i pumped out the twenty thousand words while i was pumping them out i was swinging for the fences right it's not i'm not you don't slack off of it right you don't mm-hmm you give it the attention it's due but once it's out the door and especially after you've gotten your check and cashed it uh, you don't remember a fucking thing about that project like <laughs> no that's totally like, true like i've done freelance uh ghostwriting before and yeah half of those projects it's like i don't even remember doing the project and it's like when i if somebody asks like a question like how many worlds have you created and it's like Okay, I think it's like nine fully. Wait, no, I forgot about this. Sure. That other one, and I got hired to do this, and they had me rewrite it like 16 different times. Right. Because they didn't know what they wanted. Oh, God, that was horrible. I forgot about that. And it's like, I I can't remember that for weeks. I can't reveal, uh, I shouldn't reveal uh, what. (laughs) What I what franchise what IP I'm about to talk about, but oh no, <laughs> I had I had a situation once where I was contacted by a representative from uh, an intellectual property that I had worked on because they were doing um a material that was not gaming related for that IP. Mm-hmm that was using because the material generated for the role playing game based on that IP is part of the of the IP ex- yeah IP they were collecting information that was from a particular book uh and 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 they sent me an email and they were like I need information on this thing um it was directed your the publisher directed me to you specifically Hmm. So I need all of the information that you have about X thing. And I'm like, this has to be a mistake. Because uh-huh. I never did X thing. It wasn't me. I'm gonna, you know, go home. And I mean, I did do work on this intellectual property. But I don't remember doing anything. I don't know why I'm the specific point of contact because I did not create the kind of information that this person is looking for. Okay. Okay. And then it turns out you did. Oh yeah. And then like, so I'm thinking about it for a while. And there was something. There was something about it. There was something about about the reference that I was like, this sounds like something I might have done. All I, all I can do is go to the hard copy of the the the, the thing right. I worked on. So I read through it, and I found my section in the thing, and I was like, "Fuck, this is me." <laughs> and the reason, and the reason why I didn't realize it was me is because it was a category of information buried in another in a in another section. So if you can imagine. So this is not the thing, but like if you can imagine, they were looking for information on a vehicle, 
right? Mm -hmm. I didn't, I didn't work on the vehicles section of the book, but I worked on another section of the book where there was an example where I described a vehicle. Oh no! So and, you have a technical description or something close, right? Enough for their purposes to be like, "Oh, right. this guy knows what he's talking about." Yeah, right. And like, and that the the vehicle that I that that I didn't like, I said it's not a vehicle that was created in this other section that was about this completely other topic, is still part of the IP and is a vehicle, but wow. I am technically <laughs> the one that created it, right? Mm-hmm. So no, you did it. <laughs> and 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 right, because I had written that description in a passage that was written to serve a different informational purpose, right? Mm -hmm. Uh mm -hmm. so then I also found out that because of the backstopping work that I did in making that description. I absolutely had the information that this person wanted. <laughs> because it turns out that I had not done it carelessly, but I had done it like I usually do with intention. Mm -hmm. And reading it off the page brought back to me my own intention. And then I emailed them back and I said, oh, the information you need is the following. And I gave them all of the information. They said, great, that's, thanks, that's, uh, that's uh interesting uh hmm. <laughs> you know but but it went but it went all the way from this is clearly a mistake <laughs> to yeah. oh clearly i was mistaken to oh clearly i did more thorough work on this than i even remembered right in wow. the space of an hour <laughs> right okay uh, but you got this got to the point where Press a bit. <laughs> you did that whole. You did that whole character journey in an hour. Okay, you're you're clearly good at this. <laughs> More than today, that that confirms why you're in this industry. Thanks. I mean, <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. I mean, I'm 15 years, and they keep hiring people. Keep hiring me for jobs for whatever the fuck reason. So, like, <laughs> must be doing something right. But thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, no, I've been. I've been. I've been lucky. I've had a lot of lucky. I've had a lot of interesting jobs. Like I, I've had a good run. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, man. Well, this, this has been a good run. I'm, I'm sorry to interrupt, Gab. We're at we're we're coming up on two hours and twenty minutes. Yeah. No, we're we've run over super over. Yeah. But hey. No, it's okay. I can do really this to three hours and twenty minutes. Hmm? <laughs> <laughs> All right. <laughs> more of a matter uh, of like how long do you want to like i'll sit and talk however long you will like it's about it's really about how long do you want to stay live right like yeah uh because yeah. like i mean i'm just this is just friday night for me y'all i'm just drinking uh yeah. beers and chilling like whatever yeah i'll talk rpg books i got you know i don't care i just keep going doesn't doesn't bother me so this is uh, the second time tonight i have to reference what rhymes with friday alcohol <laughs> <laughs> um i mean there is there is gonna be a, like i'm you know i'm not i'm not shotgunning beers but there could, there could be a point in the future where i'm like okay we probably should cut the feed because yeah. like, like any further any further in this direction and i'm gonna set a bad example for my professional uh peers <laughs> <laughs> well uh 
you know, let's let's talk about some other. Just veer wildly to a different subject, then. Yeah, yeah. Oh no. Uh, what do you mean? Oh no. All right. Um, I just mean in the sense that I've seen where our veering to different subjects can lead. So, what do you? Okay, so say something good then. <laughs> if, if it's the theme, the name of the show is Flail Forward. So I mean, it it's on brand. Is all I'm getting. At. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it, it's totally fine. Um, something nice to say. Um, it will be the hottest garbage fire. Yeah. <laughs> it is way too warm here. So white, white hot dumpster fire. That is the one yeah. hot dumpster fire. That's yeah. us. Yeah, I'm I'm kind of sad that I said garbage fire instead of dumpster fire. I knew it as I said it. It was wrong. I can't you know even stay on brand. You know what I love? You know what I love the most? What's up? About your your uh little description of the show is that you correctly capitalized the D and dumpster. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is, it is a brand name. That's that's beautiful. <laughs> I just want and I want you to know mm. that I noticed. Well, I appreciate that. There you go. <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, what else, man? I mean, so we talked about the we talked about the RPG. What what is an RPG actually? Really? Sure. That's pretty. That's pretty good stuff. We talked about fate. I like fate quite a bit. What are you? What are you? Uh, what are you working on right now? If you can um, say, I mean, maybe you can't say, but well, actually, it has. It's been announced, so I can now say that I. The only thing that I can say is that I'm working on it. Uh, mm -hmm. There is a a, uh, a video game for the PS4 called Where the Heart Is. Mm -hmm. That is uh, from Armature Studio. Uh, I am the writer and narrative designer. Cool. Okay, I just found the trailer. Sweet. Okay. Yeah. Oh okay. wow, we actually here who's not directly promoting their own product. <laughs> I don't. It's been a while. I will. Thank. I will. A show link. This is pretty cool. Awesome. Man. Uh, so yeah, yeah, we also talked somewhat about industry and how and the traditional maxim of you will never make money. No, maybe. Yeah, no money. Right. <laughs> Uh -huh. Yeah. Covered that bit. <laughs> yeah. The uh, right. Yeah, we talked a little bit. Uh, Cat. Yeah, we uh, had that long conversation in the Discord, right, about the about business stuff. Um, yeah, should probably cover a little bit of that, just because, like, this is largely aimed towards, like, you know, aspiring designers and such, so that right they can kind of get a some they of the. Can design so they, principles but also the business stuff that they, they can don't have a lot of. they can hear enough information to convince them to go to welding school like they should have done in the first place. <laughs> yes. yeah basically uh, that's like my anytime right. somebody asks me about like video game design which i worked on and it's like don't right like, what should i do you shouldn't so here's the thing though <laughs> if you're coming at it from rpgs because I spent a lot of years, like I'm, I have a rare distinction in the RPG business, right? In that mm -hmm. I'm one of the few writer, freelance writer designers that had enough consistent work for a number of years 
to pay my rent and bills with it. Mm -hmm. That is like almost unheard of, right? Yeah. Um, and it's and honestly, a lot of it was a combination of luck and like I'm not. I I mean I, I I don't know. I'm not that good, but like, but like, you know, um, it's it's so hard to even just get to that point to to it the costs of getting to that point the personal psychic mm -hmm. costs of getting to the point where you as a freelance writer designer working for other companies can pay your bills with rpg writing like it is so profound that like i could not remotely recommended to anybody and by comparison video games for me just because the money is so much better which is really sad that you have to say the money is better in right. video it's, games it's, it's like, exponentially games are already near the bottom right it's exponentially that... better than rpgs mm -hmm. to write for video games like which is scary. Yeah. Uh, like, this is scraping the bottom of the barrel. And over on RPGs here, we get out the pickaxe and start digging a hole. Right, right, right. Yeah. In RPGs, it is the sub-basement of the floor upon which the barrel is placed. <laughs> right? Yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, I have a day job that means that I can, I, I mean, that's, that's otherwise it wouldn't work. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and one of the things that we talked about in the in the chat that I think perhaps is uh useful. Uh so that it's not just like Leonard Balsera came on flow forward and crushed all my dreams. <laughs> He's responsible for that too. I mean, although that's basically <laughs> I mean that's basically every panel. That's every panel that I did at cons from like twenty ten forward, but uh um just crush just dream crushing the panel just dream crushing the panel come, Why, come, come to hall h no this don't. is this is a good thing to do you should don't. be doing this because the only people that will succeed are the ones that you can't crush their dreams you're right like, yeah that's the only way that you're gonna succeed in this kind don't, of a market so don't don't be like me kids the panel yeah don't be. uh <laughs> Don't be like Uncle Lenny, kids. That's the. Um, so you're so, kind of like the like the dude going around to the schools, being like, "I I did drugs as a child. Don't do it." Well, you know, it's really funny. <laughs> um, not quite, but because I still do drugs. But um, I I, I used uh, to do drugs. I still do, but I used I still to do. do. <laughs> In fact, I don't even know why I'm here. Uh, <laughs> but um, or where uh, he is. No, but uh, where here is, or what is, it? <laughs> uh, is one of the things I had to grapple with coming back mm -hmm. to Twitter, right? Is that my first game was published in 2006. Mm -hmm. I have been writing professionally in role-playing games for 15 years. So when we talk about stuff like the quote-unquote innovations in Fate, for mm -hmm. example, we're talking about a game that's already old. Like, I'm 
old fucking news, right, in that regard. Like, now you have, like, now we have this situation where the entire industry is on itch.io and Twitch. Like, yep. that, that is where we are. Mm-hmm. And I have no understanding. This is the second time I've ever been on Twitch. I think this is like our 11th. So, you know, you're not far behind. The first, the first time was for, it was cool. The, do you know the mist, the, the mist video games? Yeah. Uh, so there's an official RPG called unwritten. Oh yeah. That I was the developmental editor for. Oh, awesome. Yeah. I know that. Uh, and they did a Q live Q and a that I was on because they were raising funds for the, the Navajo nation COVID-19 fund. Cool. Uh, so people came on and asked for sneaky questions about RPGs and mm-hmm. stuff. School. Um, so this is like the second time I've been on Twitch. This is a word I do not understand at all. This world whatsoever. Uh, so like, you know, it was really it's really interesting to me to think because when I think of myself as a designer. I think of myself in that crowd of like indie mm-hmm. indie designers that were trying to do stuff, trying to mindfully look at sort of the state of affairs of RPGs and 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 make some decisions that maybe hadn't been made before and to find out if the, those were good decisions or if there's a a way forward that was part of like the early self-publishing um push, right? Mm-hmm. Um and and all that. Like I was one of the original indie guys. Yeah. And I'm a dinosaur now. Like the kids today, as it were, even though yeah. like many of them are chronologically older than me, are are publishing and disseminating their their stuff and and uh, in ways that like were not even available to me and that I wouldn't have even imagined doing and there's this whole weird show business thing that has cropped up around RPG and live streams and live plays and, yep. and stuff that I just don't I don't get any of that. And it is strange to have to confront the reality that all of the cool shit that I did in design to be a part of, I guess, the ongoing conversation of RPG design now happened a long time ago. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. And, I mean, uh, it, I mean, relatively, right? Because the medium medium is so new. Like, wh- how old is it? Like, I mean, like as a mechanical, years, sixty years old, right? Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's like it, it's it's younger than movies. Right. You know? Yeah. It's it's half the age of movies. Yeah. It's where the film industry was in like you know nineteen fifty five or whatever, right? Right. Like, it's 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 kind of weird. People forget that, like how because it's 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 books, right? So people think like, right. oh yeah. It's, well, not a new a new thing. It's not a new technology, but like right. what you're doing with the book is novel. It's still like as a as as a as a space because we're. I mean, there's still a lot of low hanging fruit that people are like, oh yeah, and this and this and this and yeah, it's cool. Yeah. Uh. So yeah, like. Um. But uh. But saying that, like saying that, like understanding that this comes from the perspective of somebody who is not actually a young, hot indie designer. Mm-hmm. Um, well, 
who was of of the two things young and hot was only ever young but uh, <laughs> uh, it is it's interesting to me that a lot of what I even have to say about the business model about how to conduct your career about how to do x y and z like it's hard to say how much of that even really applies to what mm. what people are That's trying to do now because the constraints are so different like if you're trying to make money now as a self-published role-playing game designer the journey you're going to take is completely you're going to use different tools you're going to use different methods you're going to market your work in a completely different way you're going to do a yeah. very different thing than i did right which means yeah i don't know what the fuck i even got to tell you that would be worthwhile like uh because i cut my teeth on the traditional method of trying to get freelance jobs at established mid-tier or higher companies right and like my mm -hmm. client pool i mean it's in my bio my client pool is pelgrane onyx path fantasy flight right like it's the it's that yeah. that side of the business and if that's the jam you want to get into then yeah i have a lot to say about that but like but it feels to me like the quote-unquote kids today are are pursuing a path to glory that is just so different from from what from what i did right mm -hmm. uh, there are definitely different tools as you were saying for that like we have things like youtube and twitch and stuff that you can actually market your stuff basically patreon for free yeah right yeah and you have kickstarters and so on like you can get money if you have a good idea potentially which is kind of an awkward concept because that wasn't really necessarily a thing in the past it was more you had a good idea so you worked for some other company like tsr or whatever for a couple of years until your name's recognized enough that you can actually put your good idea into motion right yeah I mean, and so, so now it's like this whole thing, like I'm doing like everything for mine. Like I'm writing it in InDesign. Like I'm, I'm doing some of the art, like I'm oh, doing, like, it's, it's, there's, there's, there, I mean, part of, there's two things. It's like one, one, there's no real gatekeepers anymore. Like you don't need to, to sell your game. You don't need to get it into a bookstore. Right. You know? Well, and 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 uh, I I mentioned this on the Discord chat, right? Mm -hmm. We were talking, Cat, where that was kind of why I was like, to even talk about quote unquote the industry might not even be constructive for what now a designer is trying to do, because, like, no, I think it is. I don't, because... like who, like, okay. there's a degree to which it's kind of like who gives a fuck if you're a part of the industry or not, right? Like, it doesn't. Like that, that's not even a constraint on you finding an audience anymore, right? No, this, um, this, even this conversation is probably important for a lot of people because I think there's a lot of people that are wanting to be new designers, but they're only thinking of it in the traditional manner. Like, they're only like, oh, yeah, I want to go work for like Wizards of the Coast. And it's like, that's oh. 
probably that. not how this is actually going to work. You you probably right. could be looking at that's, other alternative that, avenues. That's a path. I mean, I mean those jobs do come up, right? Yeah, mm -hmm. uh, they just don't come up often, right? Uh, but you know, yeah. I mean, I mean, Paizo just posted for a, a a senior designer for Pathfinder, right? And like, um, yep. well, I think. I think Watsi did too. Watsi is looking yeah. for someone new to paint the crosshairs on. I mean, they're looking for a VP of Dungeons and Dragons. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah, though keep in mind, this is also going to be the kind of position where it's like, must have 10 years of experience in the sure, industry. Sure. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, right, there's, right, there's like a, how do you get this, right, how do you get started? Right. But it, but it's, man, it's, it's, it's so weird because what I, what I wonder is, should anybody even aspire to get started the way I got started? Because it's almost better now. I I wonder if it's almost better. I don't I don't know for sure, but I wonder if it's almost better to to take the kind of route that a lot of people are taking and to create your own independent content, push it out there, get it talked about, try and get it on a stream, try and get it on you know whatever. Mm -hmm. Because I have found that some of the folks that are are talking now on the Twitter that are, have, are working are working for mid tier publishers that are like oh and then I turned around and worked on this this game that has a name that that you know people know they got hired to that gig because they had. Uh, uh, an itch, a game on itch.io mm -hmm. that they captured the attention of the discourse for a particular moment in time for whatever reason, right? Right. And then that, and then that, like, grew into that's that's the up and coming talent. They've created this interesting thing. Now, now you have a foundation by which to market yourself to establish companies. If you really fucking need to be in the next Star Wars Edge of the Empire supplement or whatever, right? Yep. If you have that burning desire, uh, you know, but I just, to me, a lot of what I wonder, Kat, is how is the kind of career I had even a desirable one to pursue any more given the the tools and the opportunities that are present in the moment right i think it depends on the individuals like sure. some people yeah like it wouldn't be for me like i i have always <laughs> wanted to be the one who creates the intellectual property right. like yeah it's like okay if i'm going to work on somebody else's i will treat it with respect due diligence and care and you know like it is it is an honor to work on some really big thing but that's not really what i want to do i want to make my own ip that other people feel it's an honor to work on. to work for right sure sure yeah. i like that so, yeah lenny i looked at your whole resume and i'm horrified actually like that must have been <laughs> that must have been awful for you you poor no, it, motherfucker. It, it, <laughs> <laughs> no it's like 
it it depends on what an individual wants like some people definitely are like you said they want to work on the next star wars game because they absolutely fucking love star wars mm-hmm. right and it's like it is their life's goal to sure. be part of star wars so uh so you know it's, it's not mine but sure there definitely are those who it is and i think that yeah for this kind of a thing like the career path you went through it is really important for that kind of a setup if you're going to work on star wars like you can do something like starting your own kind of thing and it's almost like a portfolio in itself it's like right yeah i created yeah, this yeah. game right and that's like what i was something... thinking i was right i was thinking about it in that that's exactly the word that came to mind actually where we're talking about this right it's portfolio right, right? um yeah yeah i it's think you're on a, I think you're a demo reel for sure. It's right. the equivalent of a demo reel, except it's a lot harder to cram a, you know, an RPG into two minutes. Right. Like, unless it's like a two-page RPG, in which case it's probably not really going to be something that people will weigh all that heavily. Unfortunately, right, right because some there are some two-page RPGs out there that are f- fucking phenomenal. Yeah. Uh, yeah, there there are. there are, but if you all handle of, like, all a of them have been made by John Harper, but I mean, <laughs> <laughs> oh good, somebody somebody else was heard of John Harper's stuff before he made before other oh, days in the dark. Oh shit! Come all, on, man. I I'm a I'm I, such a, a giant John Harper fan that I'm I'm like a Talislanta fan, like. Oh, wow. Like, I have. I technically haven't played that. I'll, I'll give you I, that one. Yeah, yeah. I. <laughs> Good I, job. Uh, I. Uh, um. Uh. It's really. It's really funny. Uh. To. Uh. To talk about. Uh. Well, cause. Cause these things keep coming back around too. It's so funny. Cause like. Okay. So you know that new game, the new RPG, the Quest, the mm-hmm. fucking RPG, right? Yep. Its resolution is Talislanta's resolution. Oh, is it? Huh. Yeah, like the like if you look at the D twenty table, like Talislanta Talislanta was one of the first games that I played that even introduced me to the the idea of like partial failure or like like you get some of what you want, right? Mm-hmm. Like it had this sliding scale. Like John Harper thought about that shit way back when. Like that dude's sharp as fuck, man. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, like, no, no argument I, here. I mean, I'm a, I'm a big I'm fan. A fan, yeah. Um, and he's also a, a a real nice gent. So I mean, uh, you know, uh, and I think on the point that we've mentioned, or at least that Rock was mentioning earlier, of the idea of there's still a lot of low-hanging fruit like stuff that seems obvious common knowledge like oh you can you know not totally choose between a you are a paragon of humanity and b you punt puppies right there's a middle ground in there sure sure it's like wow why didn't anybody think of this before right There's a lot of stuff still like that. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, yeah. Because the cozy RPG, you know, it's a new new thing. Well, and yeah. it's funny. It's funny because this is one of those arguments 
like a, you know one of the classic capitalist arguments is that capitalism uh spurs innovation right to some uh, degree kind of and, and <laughs> well i you know i believe the op i actually believe stifles innovation in a lot of cases but uh it but does i think I, I think that that's part of the thing right is that like mm -hmm. the reality the hard mathematical reality of rpgs is that there's dungeons and dragons and then there's everything else yep and until i destroy it and uh you know this is not gonna happen but it is my plan um the it's a plan um it's a stupid plan <laughs> I will I will ascribe no adjectives to the plan, but but I'll acknowledge the the noun that it that it is. Uh, <laughs> uh, so there's there's Dungeons and Dragons, and then there's everything else, right? And yeah, you yeah. you have to the the real the market reality of that is that. The further away you go from that level mm -hmm. of market penetration, from that that point of familiarity, yep. the the greater degree it is to your sort of math mathematical detriment, right? <laughs> um, unless unless you do stuff like one of the things that that Quest is doing, for example, very deliberately is that it is trying to cultivate an audience very, very actively that is outside the RPG space. And part of the way that it's doing that is by being so friendly to to streaming. Like it is one of the friendliest games to run on a stream, right? Just because of how it's set up. And a bunch of streams have already converted to Quest, like literally abandoned other rule systems because Quest has a number of features that are performance-oriented, uh, right? Mm -hmm. Which is something mm -hmm. that plays real well on camera. So, like, uh, you know, it's trying to cultivate an audience sort of in a different vein. And, you know, it's a gamble, right? Because you don't know how many of the quote-unquote solid rpg people are going to come along for the ride mm -hmm. because a lot of what the thing provides is provided already by a number of other things that they already have uh right you don't really know if you're going to through this other form of entertainment reach enough people to get them to sort of buy in and see this activity as something distinct right like there's a lot of uh, risks that it's taking mm -hmm. but i think that it's the best strategy and the most cogent and coherent strategy that you can employ because what other option do you have because the 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 word even the term rpg is so synonymous with dungeons and dragons it's like kleenex mm -hmm. for, for tissues right or anything Yellow. it's like yeah. that and that if if you're going to say my game is an rpg a role playing game you are inevitably positioning yourself to face the Dungeons and Dragons question. Yeah. And you yeah. can either live with that and try and 
skim the scraps that you can skim from whatever the fuck is left of the market share. Mm -hmm. Or you can pursue a different market and decide that you're in a different business. Like the story creation engine business. Oh, yeah. It has been done before. There have been situations where they (laughs) I'm going to be Dungeons and Dragons better than Dungeons and Dragons is, which is basically what Pathfinder used as their premise. And it did work for them. Well, right. They're like, they're second. Mm -hmm. They're in second. They're in second place. But their second placeness depends upon and i don't know in sales numbers they might even be in first place the truth is i don't actually know because i haven't talked I to they, i haven't I'm talked to sure that. they're not at the moment i haven't talked to the crew in a while but uh uh and i've never asked them so brazen a question because uh, i would like to stay friends with them um <laughs> uh but like uh but even that placement that market placement mm-hmm. depends upon Dungeons and Dragons paradigmatically, right? Yeah. Yes. Uh, you know, so, you know, and it's like, you know, the eight, the example I like to tell is that, you know, and I, I, th- I say this story, this is, I say this and I should, I should uh, flag that I'm being facetious because I don't, I don't know. Sometimes people take me real seriously when I talk, say, Talk, make industry, tell industry stories and talk about a bunch of bullshit. And like mm-hmm. the truth of the matter is that ninety percent of the time I'm full of shit. Nobody should listen to anything I say. But uh, primetime adventures mm-hmm. is the greatest television show writers' room exercise that was never published. Instead, mm-hmm. it's a fucking role playing game. And every time I talk to Matt Wilson, Matt, if you're listening, I love you. Uh, this always comes right before the hammer drops. I, I, <laughs> I am noticing a pattern here. <laughs> I've I've told him I've told him before at conventions. You left an incredible amount of money on the table because you didn't take your thing, go to Hollywood and market it as a seminar to te- for television writing, to television writers' rooms. Mm-hmm. Because structurally speaking, that is the format. Like, you can use Primetime Adventures, I am convinced, to break a whole season of a television show. Hmm. And the fact that he decided to publish it as a role-playing game instead of going to Hollywood and doing what everybody else does with seminars in Hollywood and say, hey, I, I know what I'm doing, I promise. Mm-hmm. Here is an exercise that will help you. Here's my screenwriting class. Right. By the way, I have sold exactly one script uh, that will never get produced, although it's not really abnormal for scripts. Like, tons of people in Hollywood make a living as writers that have had a bunch of stuff bought and nothing ever produced. So, I mean, that's not, you know, whatever. But right. Point is, there are a lot of people who are like, 
you know, I was I was uh, Centurion number three in <laughs> Ben Hur. Here's my acting school, right? Like, you know, Hollywood is unfortunately L.A. is unfortunately kind of replete with that kind of action, right? Uh, he could very easily have gone in and been like, I have a television writing exercise that puts you in the writer's room and shows you the creative techniques that you need to know in order to break story like the pros. Hmm. He could have led with that, gone to Hollywood, done that seminar at $500 a seat, and be sipping jippers on a beach somewhere now. But instead... Instead, he published a role-playing game. Right. <laughs> and there is... Now, obviously... So the reason why I tagged that as a facetious story is, to some degree, I believe that that seriously what is it was a marketable potential of that thing. Mm -hmm. Like, I think he could have made the conscious choice to market it as a different kind of product that, it, that he did, right? Mm -hmm. uh, whether or not it actually would have led to the, the, the success that I imagine, who the fuck knows, right? But like, but but I I tell the story to illustrate that one of the ways that I think is seriously underdeveloped to pursue success in the type of design work we do is to is to think about whether or not the RPG as a marketing label, as a product design label, mm -hmm. is actually the most useful, productive, or lucrative, potentially one that you could pursue. It's probably not. Right. Well, it's definitely... I mean, my fucking balance sheet will tell you that it's definitely not. Yeah, I mean, um, like, part of what we were talking about before the show was I was saying, like, the RPG itself, like the actual book, is probably the least lucrative part of the entire thing. Like the people yeah, who make dice towers so. will make more than the game itself, probably. Yeah, it's hard to say. Like I said, it's real tough. Like none of the number in the few opportunities that I've had to really track a lot of that information, like sales information for like core core books versus supplements versus time products and stuff like that. It is so chaotic and variable. It's tough, like, to draw any yeah. conclusions. There's a lot of entropy in that system. Um, mm. But, but I think the one thing that overall is always true is that the economy of scale is so much lower than you think. Like, just yeah. to give, just to give you an example, mm -hmm. the core book, Dresden Files, Volume One, Your Story. That's volume, that's volume one, right? Our world is volume two? Yep. Okay, thanks. Uh, uh, I got him right over there. So. Has probably, in the 10 years that it's been out, sold maybe 30,000 copies in its lifetime. Mm -hmm. So if you look at think about the sticker price, I don't remember what the sticker price is for those books. They were fucking, it's 50 bucks, I think it's like 50 bucks. Yeah, yeah 50 or 60. 50 yeah. bucks? Yeah. Let's say yeah. 50 bucks because the math yeah. is easier and it's late. Sure. So You're you think about it. You're going to be making that pure profit. Right. So you think about it is that that, let us say that that sales of that book 
have produced what 1.5 million dollars in revenue right mm -hmm. that's wow. a large a number right it's a large number until you divide it across the 10 years until you think about the check that they've got to cut jim mm -hmm. for that deal which is a per, as a, a significant percentage of it i'm not actually privy to how much of a percentage it is because uh, I never saw the contract, but I I can tell you it's not small, right? Um, and and then you think about like what's left over. So now you're talking about maybe printing costs in the court right costs. over the course of a year, like the sales run of that book maybe brings ninety thousand dollars after those bills are paid to Evil Hat in revenue. Well, now there's like, what was the size of the loan they took out to print those books? And they're paying that back in part with what's the with what comes from the sales. And then there's like, you know. The shops themselves are taking a cut. And if there's more right. than one person worked on the book, then is this enough money for each person who worked on it to survive off? And the answer is inevitably no, right? And the reason why I always use the example of the Dresden Files core book is because that is a book, a core book, for what was at the time a fairly popular role-playing game system that had a core release that was based on a major media intellectual property. Mm -hmm. And those are the numbers it did. Yeah. It so it sounds good at first. Right. Bye. So if you extrapolate that out, right, like there's no all that money goes away so fast, right? Um and to sustain a business on that is almost goddamn impossible, right? So yeah. uh so when you're talking about about the decision that your product is an RPG is a role-playing game that decision by itself stacks the fucking deck man mm -hmm. uh and uh, you know so you know and unfortunately there's not like it's real easy to say right like uh you know because what's the alternative right like a, a valid question would be to ask well all right fine lenny I'm not going to publish my thing as an RPG. What the fuck do I publish it as? If I knew the answer to that question, I'd be sipping jippers on a beach somewhere. Like, obviously. <laughs> like, or I know what my plan is for that, which is not to rely on the game as where the sales are. It's the game is the cheapest way that I could reasonably produce an intellectual property and the intellectual property is the cornerstone like i'm oh. building the game so that it can be translated into novels it could be right. yeah, turned yeah. into a movie or a video game or right. other things like that what, those what things we, have money attached to them <laughs> right what what we in some call the transmedia approach right yeah but like, the, pro the problem with the transmedia approach is that there is a certain level of exposure that an intellectual property has to reach before a lot of that stuff starts to trickle in, right? So, right. It's so, a very long-term approach. Like, you need to survive long enough to get to right, that part. to do it, right. So, and these are tough questions. Like, I don't, like I said, I don't, 
especially now that the world is of 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 publishing is so different i don't i certainly can't pretend to have any definitive answers yeah. uh like for anybody um but uh the, the only the only useful thing i can offer i think is to say that the very best thing that you can do is to really calibrate your definition of success so that it is achievable and to look at your career as not like you set a high target and then try and hit in between milestones to get to that target like putting point b in the sky is a bad idea but then envisioning your career as like trying to hit point z that is perhaps a better a healthier more useful way to sort of frame it where point b is an achievable goal that is right in front of you once you've hit mm -hmm. that you ask yourself what is point c right, right. and mm -hmm. and sort of uh you know break it into these digestible pieces so that you can uh not go insane see this is that's good advice. thing that i usually hear for advice is that yeah break it into manageable sections and right. that way you can have you know some elation when you actually reach one and that gives you motivation for the next one and right. that is totally not how i've ever worked right. so for the method that's the terrible idea the way i've always kind of looked at things is okay so setting it in the sky it's like that's mm, going to be difficult but i think it's reachable i'm going to set it in andromeda for point b where it's like <laughs> wait is that even is that even possible within your lifetime don't know gonna find out because the the way i have always processed this kind of thing is if i can reach an achievable goal it doesn't count. It's like, well, it, it was something that was possible. So I guess I didn't really try all that hard. So right. I need to set some, I need to set an impossible goal so that if I achieve it, it's like, I did the impossible. But if I fail, it's like, well, it was impossible anyway. So no big deal. If I, I failed to... at something that was possible, oh God, what have I, I done? To... I have to I have to ask you a question and I, I I want you to know that I I ask you this question out of a deep sense of empathy and and uh concern for your well-being. <laughs> have you discussed this framing with your therapist? That would depend on whether I could afford a therapist. <laughs> right. So we're back to capitalism is the problem. <laughs> Don't disagree with that. And, and that, my friends, is why I do this for a living. All right. <laughs> What what Dude. you what you, what you don't know is that you've basically just been the host of this stand up routine that I, this anti capitalist stand up routine that I've been doing since I got here. There it uh, is. That's oh, fine. Like I don't. Three hours in. Mm. <laughs> now and, the curtain drops. Right. Capitalism totally has some good points to it, 
but it definitely I, has some holes. The free market does not fix everything. Yeah, and there's unfortunately, some unfortunately like the attached profit margin to some really key things that profit should not be attached to in any way, shape, or form. It is but, it yeah. right. Yeah. Uh, it, in some, it all comes down to the degree to which we have conflated the value of something to the price mm -hmm. of something. Yeah. Which is, yeah, which is, oh, it's bad. Um, that, now we're getting into that point in the evening where we probably should cut the feed. Yes. <laughs> yeah, all right. Once we start getting into oh. those kind of rants, then it's, uh, yeah. Oh boy. Here we go. All right. All right, everybody. Holy shit. Uh, it's 10 o'clock. Good night. It is night where you are. Kavor, do you want to say anything? Speak for yourself. Uh, it's morning uh, here. It's 2 a.m. Goddamn cat. You know, uh, I, I, if I, I don't really have anything in particular to say. Good conversation. I have more to say. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Thank you, sir, for showing up. And that stuff at the beginning was the best summary of what, uh, like, we talked about what an RPD is here. And let's say good night. <laughs> good night, everyone. Thanks, so for, for for Lenny, Kat, Kevoir, and myself, Rob, good night. Because it is night where you are. Hey everybody, thanks for listening. If you liked this episode, or not, we're not picky, leave us a review on iTunes or anywhere else you listen to podcasts. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Reddit, and uh, and Pornhub. Because why not? Gotta go where your audience is, right? Good night, everyone. <laughs>